Welcome. I am your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN, joined for every pay-per-view episode by my guy, Cody Safdick. You guys can follow him at CJ Safdick on Twitter. And we are here propping you up for the big UFC 268 event going down this weekend at Madison Square Garden. We got a banger of a card coming up, and most importantly, the main event between Kamar Usman versus Colby Covington, probably the best fight we can put together in terms of the top talents within the UFC. Very much looking forward to that. And then you got Rose Namajunas rematching Wiley Zhang, and you also got Justin Gaethje going up against Michael Chandler. Cody, we are in for a treat this weekend, brother. How are you feeling about this card coming up? Yeah, we also can't forget about the people's main event, Jean Vellante versus the Beast Boy, Chris Barnett. So this <laughs> card actually got something for everybody. Yeah, I'm feeling good. Last week, the part we went 12 of 14 overall. Parlays could have used Jan, but all good. However, the prop side of things are pretty good. We had Peter Yan by decision plus 150. We had Magomed Ankalaev by decision plus 210. And unfortunately, a flying knee ruined that Amir Khani uh, fight goes the distance prop. So all good there. The two that we were the bigger ones we hit and uh, made it profitable. So that's what we'd like to do here. I'd like to go three for three, absolutely. But if I can go two for three and still make some money, I'd be happy with that too. Yeah, I was just about to go over our, our three best bets for the last event. So I myself went all of three. I had Petrovsky in round one, which was looking kind of good yeah. until who was able to kind of get out of those bad positions, drive inside the distance, which, you know, hats off to Kopilov, made some solid improvements and made that a lot tougher of a fight for drive than I expected. And then Volkov KO, which me and John had a uh, very underwhelming performance from Alexander Volkov last week, but at least he was still able to get his hand raised. Uh, John went two and one on his props. Uh, he had Hebas by decision good call there get mm. ankle eye then Vol uh vulcan to go um uh to the distance that hits and then he obviously missed on volk volkov ko and then yourself you also went two and one yan decision ankle live decision and then uh murphy absolutely obliterates americani to kill that <laughs> fact doesn't go to decision yeah well. right so, guy won but the prop side of things not so good exactly but good showing from you guys as well hopefully i'm able to pull it up by the bootstraps this week and uh, cast some props myself as well and i think i got some decent props that i'm able to share with you guys so Let's not waste too much more time. Let's just get into the damn car. We got 14 fights coming up for you guys. First of which, between Carlos or CJ Vergara. I'm not sure which one he's going to be going with, but I should get that uh, that question answered tomorrow night. But we're just going to go with Vergara. Going up against Ode Osborne in terms of odds, we're looking at minus 180 for Ode Osborne and plus 160 for Carlos Vergara. We got both guys coming off the contender series. Most recently, obviously, Vergara coming off a 40-second finish of Bruno Cohea was a pretty sizable favorite in that that fight but it only took 40 seconds he hit him with a beautiful body shot crumpled Kohea and was able to get the win after that then he gets immediately signed to the UFC these are prime opportunities for us to fade guys that may have some hype coming off the contender series Vergara I believe he has a little bit of hype coming off the contender series even though he's an underdog here I feel like the line would be way wider if uh you know if he didn't have that contender series fight, uh, I do really like Ode Osborne here. I like his ability to kind of stick at distance and kind of pick apart opponents from the, from the, from distance. But he is offensive enough that I feel like he could drag this fight to the ground if he needs to and really, uh, you know, tie up uh, CJ Vergara into knots in this fight. I do think he's the much better jujitsu player. The last loss on Vergara's record, obviously, to a Johnny Bedford protege and Devin yeah. Miller. Uh, he went out there and uh, got submitted by him in 54 seconds. 
which just leads me to believe that he probably doesn't have the greatest ground game. I tried looking through the rest of his tape since that fight, and we don't see much of him on his back. Uh, that Jacob Silva fight was absolutely crazy considering uh, the back-and-forth knockdowns and obviously Vergara getting the better of him later in that fight. But this is a tough step up in O'Day Osborne. I think Osborne drags this fight to the ground, and I think he submits him, to be honest. The submission prop currently sitting around plus 285. Uh, I don't mind that at all. The under two and a half is also something that piqued my interest. I think that's sitting around minus 150, minus 160. I'm expecting violence in this uh, on this fight, uh, Cody. Um, and I think we're going to see tr a ton of violence on this card, to be honest. But I think we start off the night with some bloodshed uh, or actually even some choking. And I think it's going to be Ode Osborne choking Vergara. Plus 285 for the sub prop. That's where I like how you see in this one. Listen, you're likely right. I think Ode Osborne is a very talented guy. Problem is, is that he's a one-round fighter. I mean, his last, Manel Cap, first round. Joe Rivera, first round. Brian Keller, first round. Armando Varel, first round. Kelly Oldfield, first round. Erden Daly, first round. Erden Daly again, first round. Jose Luis Calvo, first round. Boom! Last time he got out of the first round, 2016. So it's been five years for Ode Osborne. I think that's kind of the issue with him. Uh, it ain't the issue if you got fight, don't go the distance, which I think is how you attack this one, minus 185. Yeah. <laughs> like, Ode Osborne is a one-round guy. Even if he can extend this beyond one round, he is dangerous, very dangerous. Flip side to that with uh, CJ Vergara, his last, he's on a five-fight winning streak, all five wins by way of knockout. What I like about him is that, yeah, he knocked out Bruno K in the first round, but prior to that, second-round knockout, second-round knockout, third-round knockout, third-round knockout, one thing about him is that he carries his power pretty later into the fight, and, and can swing. So really, this is the tale of two outcomes, I think. Either Ode Osborne ices him in the first, or I think Vergara has a good chance of potentially working his way back into this one if Ode starts to tire. I thought Ode last time out against Manal Cap looked career best till he ate a flying knee in the face. That shit sometimes happens in MMA. Yeah. But and the guy at 125, out, right? He wasn't yeah. the out either, right? No, exactly. I just think at 125, he's got a long frame. He's very fast. We know he's got a good knockout power, but people don't really know about his submissions quite yet. And I think that's why you bring up an excellent point. Ode Osborne by submission certainly on the table. Regardless of how this one shakes up, it ain't going the distance. Minus 185, that's your play on this one. However, I will slightly go ever so slightly the other way in bringing up CJ Vargara by TKO is plus 300. The reason why that's interesting to me is, again, Vergara, five-fight winning streak, all five fights inside the distance by TKO. We know that he can carry this power later on. And if, for whatever reason, Ode Osborne gets out of the first round, are any of us confident that he's got a good gas tank? Are any of us confident that he can fight a full 15 minutes? Maybe. Hasn't done it in almost six years now. So I think the longer the fight goes, Vergara could become live, certainly live by TKO, plus 300. And in the short term, yeah, Ode Osborne actually looks faster more athletic you know better grappling game he should rightfully be the favorite i just i wonder if this thing gets out of the first how much trouble he could potentially be in so cover ourselves both ways fight doesn't go the distance want to get greasy with things vargara by tko plus 300 seem like a reasonable price uh, just some quick statistics to back up that fight doesn't go to decision. Uh, four out of the 11 fights for Vergara have gone to a decision. And on the flip side, only two out of the 13 fights for Odeo Osborne have seen the judges' scorecard. So uh, I do like that minus 180 on the fight doesn't go to decision. Probably one of my favorite plays on uh, the card in regards to props. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got uh, Melsic Bagdazarian going up against uh, short notice Bruno Suzo, who's coming over from the LFA as a champion over there. Uh, might be biting off a little bit more than he can chew here against Melsic Bagdazari, who is just an absolute cannon of a man. The guy goes out there and just throws everything into his strikes. And a very impressive regional career, right? Had a lot of question marks in regards to his cardio, considering that his last several fights before getting into the contender series 
14 second knockout, 32 second knockout, nine second knockout. Oh, that's not quick enough for you. How about seven second knockout right after that? And then goes into the contender series and goes a full 15 minutes against Dennis Bazuki. And as clear as day, we see it. He does start to slow down later in fights. Luckily enough for him, he seemed to want it a little bit more in that third round. He was marching forward against Bazuki, landing the bigger, better shots. But man, anybody with a better gas tank will likely give him tremendous trouble. In the next fight, obviously, we saw him go out there and knock out Colin Anglin in the second round. And again, we it's not something we don't already know. The guy just moves forward and throws big strikes. If he's able to land on the chin or find the button right in the back of the temple like he did against Anglin, you're likely going to go down. Bruno Souza, on the other hand, is from that Machida style of guys, right? He has the karate style, very elusive at times, but he can be damn hittable early in fights. And I think that's where Mausik Bagdasarian will be able to connect on him and probably get him out of there early. However, if this fight gets extended, I have some question marks in regards to whether Bruno Souza can keep up that elusiveness and it could be a little bit more difficult for Bagdasarian to land those big strikes considering that sometimes he telegraphs them a little bit too much and Souza might be able to get out of the way and kind of pick him apart from distance maybe get a finish of his own late in this fight because he's gone the full 25 in the past we've seen him go you know 15 minutes in the in the past and he seems to have a decent gas tank um I, I'm, I question the minus 320 on Bagdasarian, to be honest. I would rather just play him inside the distance and KO to get the best uh, bang for your buck. I believe round one for him is plus 300. For him to win by KO, I believe he's currently sitting at uh, plus 150. I could be wrong. Yeah, plus 155. I think those are the best ways to play Bagdasarian rather than eating that minus 320. And then on the flip side, you know, Bruno Souza by decision. Uh, if he could come away with the next two rounds, uh, rounds two and three, just by you know being the fresher guy and being more elusive, plus 500, not too bad for a decision sprinkle. And then obviously Souza round three, plus 2075, kind of caught my eye. Again, whenever you have a guy that slows down with his cardio, I, I, I have to take a little bit of a sprinkle on that round three prop, especially if you give me plus 2,000 or better. Another live betting opportunity spot as well, if you want to go out there and, and maybe back Souza going into that second round. But again, Melsi could win the first two rounds and do enough in the third to stay alive and, and win a decision here. But I truly think with how hittable Souza is early in his fights, Melsic will be able to find that target and put him away. So my favorite uh, prop that I'm going to be pulling the trigger on is likely Bogdazarian round one, uh, plus 300, and Bogdazarian KO plus 155. Am I not giving uh, Souza enough credit here? How do you see this one going down, brother? No, I mean, you mentioned the biggest point is that Belgasarian maybe has a suspect gas tank and Bruno Souza just fought 25 minutes. So if he's able to extend into those later rounds, I mean, he certainly becomes live. But yeah, when you think about karate, you think, oh, Leota Machida, you know, even his brother Chinzo, uh, MVP from over in Bellator. Uh, you've got, of course, Wonderboy Thompson in the UFC. These guys are all very, you know, they're very elusive. They're hard to track down. They're hard to hit. You know, then there's the Gunnar Nelson types. We also come from a karate background, but you can track them down. And that's what I find in Bruno Souza. It's like he's, he's in and out, but his head's way up in the air. His lead leg's way on display. And guys do eventually get to him, start to hit him, kind of hurt him up a little bit. But I can't really take away anything from him. He's been on a pretty decent run. When you consider, while well, Mike Hamill got disqualified, but Mike Hamill's yeah. pretty decent. Kamala Kirk currently in the UFC, got a solid victory over him. Elijah Johns is actually Miles Johns' brother. He's also out yeah. of Fortis MMA. Good fight, actually. And, you know, that's another one where Elijah Johns starts out pretty good in the first round, but he starts to fatigue. As he starts to fatigue, that's where Souza takes over. And then Javier Garcia was actually short notice replacement. Both the fight went 25 minutes. You see his cardio check out. So there's some things that you could like out of him. But ultimately, I like Melsic Bagasarian. I think Bagasarian striking is legitimate. Where What he lacked in, oh, man, he can't fight three full rounds. But he never had to fight full three full rounds. 
So on Contender Series, I actually took Dennis Bazook. I mean, he's out of a solid gym. He's training with with uh, with Ray Longo and Matt Sarah over in New York. The guy's solid. He's decent enough prospect. And I like him. And this thing gets into a gut check situation. But what you see is Bazook's tired as well. Bagasarian keeps going. He wants it more. His strikes are landing with more efficiency, bigger power, and he rightfully gets the win. Now he takes on Colin Anglin. You know what? Maybe if it gets out of the second, we start to see him tire, but he won tiring up until the knockout. Like He walked right through Colin Anglin, who I actually got a lot of respect for. So I think this is similar. I think he's going to be able to maybe not control the distance, but whenever Souza steps in, he should be waiting for that big body kick. should be able to chew at the lead leg, back this kid up. We need him to secure two of these three rounds. That way, if he loses the third, fine. But I don't think it ain't going three rounds. So I, I actually do agree with you. I wrote down the Bagasarian by KO, which was plus 165, plus 160 about. Um, and just hoping the Bagasarian goes out there and catches them early. But to be honest, in terms of props and how confident I am, I don't really love this fight in terms of props. I could see it going 15. I could see it ending in one. There's a lot of variance there. But the best-looking prop for this fight in specific was the Bagasarian by KO, plus 160. I love it. I love it. All right, let's keep this train moving along. Next up, we got Dustin Jacoby also stepping in on short notice here, taking on John Allen. And I think that this is a great stylistic matchup for Jacoby, who is obviously chalk in this spot, sitting at minus 345, plus 285, I believe is the return on John Allen. John Allen's lone UFC win was overturned due, due to a positive steroid test, uh, which didn't obviously go over too well with Usada over there. But in that fight against Mike Rodriguez, he was able to take him down, kind of control him a bit. Not the greatest at controlling as Rodriguez was doing a good job in terms of getting back to his feet but uh you know he did put on a decent enough pace and again it's, it's slow Mike Rodriguez and we saw John Allen do some work in that fight then obviously in his next fight goes out there and gets outworked by Roman Deleeds a close fight but if you're having a close fight with that guy especially in the striking realm you got to believe Dustin Jacoby is going to be able to pick this guy apart pretty easily I'm having some issues in terms of figuring out the method of victory for Jacoby I like him in this spot I've already parlayed him I think he's worth that minus 345 because I'm not really that high on John Allen um I, I end up on the decision side. Like, I think that we're going to see uh, Jacoby go out there and kind of just paint the picture. Uh, leg kicks, you know, uh, strikes from distance. Uh, he's going to have to defend a couple of takedowns, which are inevitably going to be coming his way. But he does such a good job. And even after getting taken down, he gets right back to his feet, right? The Ewan Quintilaba fight, he gave up nine takedowns in that fight because he got up every single goddamn time. Not to mention the majority of those takedowns came in the first round and you know, you can make a case that was probably a 10-8 considering the amount of damage that Kutalaba was dishing out to him. But like even in his next fight against Darren Stewart, Darren Stewart, I believe, lands one or two takedowns, but controls very little control time there as we see Jacoby not settling on his back at all, working back to the cage, wall walking, getting back to his feet, and then letting his hands go. I think we're going to see the same thing here with John Allen, but I'm just not sure if Jacoby will put away John Allen in this fight. So the way that I'm leaning, Jacoby, uh, again, parlay piece, I think that's a great spot. Uh, but as uh, a prop, Jacoby by decision at plus 245. I'm going to be clenching my butt cheeks the entire time because I feel like as long as he's fighting the striking realm, he could possibly do some damage to John Allen and maybe put him away. But man, Allen, Allen is a tough out especially with the striking realm. He did get submitted by Vinicius Mojea on the contender series. But again, that, that's jujitsu. I'm not gonna, I'm not expecting Jacoby to go out there and wrap this guy up in a pretzel or something like that. So I like uh Jacoby here, Jacoby by decision. Please let me know how you feel about this fight. And am I am I writing off John Allen a little bit too early here? How do you feel about this one, brother? Okay, so the only one thing, the only one X factor that could really screw things up is that Justin Jacoby's taking the fight in four days' notice. I think that's a big issue here because Justin Jacoby comes in and looks as good as he did against Darren Stewart, wins easy. He comes in and he looks as good as he fought Ian Kudalaba, he wins easy. 
he shows up like he did the Max Christian fight, he's screwed. He's got a very wonky gas tank to him. Sometimes Justin Jacoby can go out and fight 15 minutes, no problem. He's in Colorado. He's at altitude. Sometimes he seriously gasses after one round. You saw him on the Contender Series gas out against Ty Flores. He gassed out massively against Maxim Grishin. And yet, Kudalaba, that was a hectic pace. Didn't tire out there. And then it's a first-round finish over Darren Stewart. That's my one worry, is that, yeah, he should be able to go out if he does get taken down, work his way back up. When he strike with John Allen, he'll have the advantage. And he should be able to cruise. Chop off his leg, right? Use the low calf kick, immobilize him a little bit, tire him. Use that long, lengthy jab. He's just got better kickbacks all around. But if for whatever reason he starts to fatigue, and he tires out, and John Allen does get a takedown, he ain't exploding back up, then he seriously becomes a liability. However, the best line for this in terms of a prop is the over one and a half round at minus 165. So John Allen's got six pro losses. He's been submitted in four of them. He never been knocked out. Guy seems to have a pretty solid chin. Jacoby, meanwhile, he hasn't been finished in an MMA fight since John Salter finished him seven years ago. And John Salter is a badass, like high-end BJJ black belt. If he gets on your back, you're going to have all sorts of trouble. So I'm not particularly worried about Jacoby's durability. I'm not worried about John Allen's durability. A finish could materialize later on when both guys get tired. But as far as the one and a half goes at minus 165, I like that. As far as a straight-out winner goes, I would think Justin Jacoby does get the job done. But... I struggle to say he's top ticket material. I, I struggle to say that I agree fully with a three and a half to one price tag on him just because the short notice nature of the fight. I mean, he is coming in on short notice. That is going to be a bit of an issue. Meanwhile, for John Allen, he smokes Mike Rodriguez. That should be a legit win, but he's on the juice. And the Roman Delete's fight is super weird, man. Yeah. Like, Delete's taken him down. He actually took Delete's down. It just, it, he's super tentative the whole time, but he hadn't fought. He hadn't fought in a year and a half because of his suspension. So he's supposed to take on Alexa Kamor here, who's a one-dimensional banger. And in many ways, he's been replaced with another one-dimensional banger. So Allen will be prepared for the matchup. Jacoby, meanwhile, is stepping in off the sidelines. And that, that just makes me a little bit nervous. But I, I actually do agree. I think Jacoby should win. Um, your decision, your, your by decision, yeah, that's not far off either. I mean, Allen's never been knocked out. I don't think Jacoby's going to submit him. So probably goes the distance. But when I saw the one and a half at just minus 165, I say, hey, man, that's a great number. And uh, I, it secures me both ways. Whoever wins this is winning it after that round and a half. And so the over one and a half was uh, the best bet for me. That is a very sneaky bet there with the over one and a half. And I do admire that as well. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got the slop fest of all slop fests. And let's just say this. If one of these guys got COVID and the fight got canceled, I wouldn't be mad. <laughs> we got John Volante going up against Chris Barnett, minus 130 for Volante, plus 110 for Barnett. Uh, supposed to be the retirement fight for John Volante, something that he actually dropped on us a couple of days ago. Uh, I know a lot of people have already bet Volante, and once they heard that, they're like, ooh, you know, usually it's a little bit of a red flag when a guy starts talking about retirement. But you got Chris motherfucking Barnett across from you, a guy that probably doesn't have the greatest takedown defense as shown in the Ben Rothwell fight and has sketchy cardio himself. This has got to be a winnable fight for Gian Volante. If he can't go out there and beat this guy, probably the worst ending to a career of all time. Let's be honest. I'm a big fan of Chris Barnett. Don't get me wrong. Beast Boy, love his shtick. You know what I mean? The, the out-of-shape black dude, big guy, uh, throws a lot of spinning shit. Cool. But, like, he's not UFC level. Let's be honest about that. You got to shine, but he is just not UFC level. But I just can't bank on a guy like Gian Volante who 
tapped to that submission from Maurice Green a couple fights ago after he just completely death cast in that third round. Now, I'm hearing that Vellante is in really good shape. Like, obviously, he knows this is a retirement fight. This will probably be the best we see him, physically speaking, since he's moved up to heavyweight. Uh, but that's just still not enough for me to, to, to go out there and want to bet this fight. My money is not touching this fight. But since we are here breaking this fight down from a pros perspective, uh, the over one and a half, it's juice now. It's minus 210. I'd be surprised if there's an early finish. If there isn't a finish within the first two rounds or the first two minutes, which I think more than likely would come from the Barnett side, if anything, then I think we get a 15-minute slop fest here. So you can look at fight goes to decision, minus 125. And then I do lean with the Vellante side ever so slightly because I do believe he'll have the grappling advantage in this fight. Uh, Vellante, by decision, is currently sitting at plus 235. Again, not enough meat on the bone for me to uh, to take that shot there. I'm taking Volante reluctantly, but uh, yeah. Is there something you're uncovering in this fight that I'm just not seeing? Or uh, are you on the same boat as me where you're just like, can we move on? Yeah, well, see, I'd like to watch it. I for sure want to watch it. I mean, you got one one guy's five foot eight and cuts from 300 pounds. Come on, come on. And I remember me and Robin Black had a conversation one time. And uh, we were like, well, who's the shortest heavyweight? It was, I don't know, Jeff Monson was like 5'9". And then he's like, I was like, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. He's like, there's a reason why you don't see that. Where are all the other 5'9 heavyweights? I'm like, yeah, yeah, fact. You don't fight a heavyweight when you're 5'9. You're fucked. You'd be screwed, yeah. right? Barnett, like, takes it down a level. He's 5'8. But honestly, I've been a fan of Huggy Bear for a long time. Well, he used to be Beast Boy. Now he's kind of Huggy Bear. But uh, he's a great athlete, this guy. I mean, he used to weigh in at 310 pounds, and yet you could do a standing backflip. He break dances. He's got the dance going. He's got a lot of vibe. He spent a lot of time fighting freak show fights in Japan instead of fighting legit fights. But Alistair Overeem had brought him into camp many of times. And I remember a great interview where they were like, well, talk about your ground game. And he's like, dude, this guy I'm working with, he's like, I asked him the other day, yo, man, what do you weigh? He says 270. I says, no way. Get on the scale. Gets on the scale. He's like 320. And it was Chris, <laughs> it was Chris Barnett, dude. Like, he's gigantic. And so Jean Vellante's path to victory, yeah, probably is score the takedown. And he probably does seemingly have a wrestling edge and a grappling edge but taking down a 300 pound man ain't that easy ben rothwell well he's a 260 pounds himself he's a legitimate heavyweight and he's a far better wrestler and grappler than jean volante jean volante's look like a big fat joke at heavyweight let's be real <laughs> no but let's be real and i don't mean to no, disrespect right. the guy i'm a fan of his work he shows up to the maurice green fight at 255 255 and, and I'd seen him in a grappling tournament. He, he, um, he grappled Chris Camozzi at the Rise Invitational. You can see it on Fight Pass. How fat and out of shape is he at this grappling match? Like, he's not taking it seriously. Yeah. He looks huge. And then he proceeds to go and shit the bed against Chris Camozzi in a grappling match. It was a draw. Nobody did anything. So fat and out of shape. Hand by side, huffing and puffing three minutes in. So when he fights Maurice Green, he's on his way to winning. But it's a terrible fight. And he's on top and he gets caught with an Ezekiel choke. That's him being gassed out. Is that an Ezekiel choke, Cody? What was that? That was not an Ezekiel. Well, yeah, yeah it was. It was, it was right? like a Dars from bottom. That's what it looked like. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I thought it, I, I, I thought it looked like an Ezekiel. But it was, uh, I am fucking tired. I need to get out of here, okay? I can smell the ham sandwich I packed for myself in the back and I'm going back to it. So now he takes yeah. on Jake Collier. And again, you know, he's a two-to-one favorite over Jake Collier. He comes in at 243. Everybody online, oh, he's in good shape. Yeah, he's a fat fuck the last time, but check him out this time. John Volante in good shape, tips the scale 12 pounds lighter than he did against Maurice Green and proceeds to get his face punched off by Jake Collier. So I don't think he's looked very good in either of the fights. He's now in his mid-30s. 
Uh, he's 36 years old. Chris Weidman has snapped his leg. This guy's got another kid on the way. He says, you know what? I I'm done with this. Give me one last fun fight on my way out. And they happen to give him Chris Barnett, who figures to be the lowest ranked heavyweight on the roster. I just I don't even know if that means anything. I think Chris Barnett stuffs a couple takedowns. Jean Valente is going to get st start getting tired. And uh, I think Barnett's got the superior technical boxing, and he doesn't have great technical boxing. But like, I think Jean Valente will find a way to defeat himself more than anything else. I truly do believe that. So in terms of the props on this one, yeah, you're best suited to just pass. But just for shits and gigs, I put fight goes the distance plus 110, Barnett by decision plus 350. <laughs> Again, the reason I say that, and it could go either way, but uh, Barnett's fought mostly some lower-end guys. If you can stand up to his shots early, he'll get tired as well, and it'll start to just become a bog, and it'll go a few rounds. John Vellante, meanwhile, I mean, he's known for – I don't know what he's known for, right? He's got some big power <laughs> punching, right? The last time he knocked out opponent was six years ago, and it was Saperbeck Safarov. So that's a gimme, right? Then he knocked out Anthony Parash. Well, shit, he was 44 years old. So that was kind of a gimme. He knocked out Corey Anderson. High in sight. Pretty dope. At yeah. the time, really not that impressive. All of those are 2015, 2016. Since then, Shogun knocked him out. Shogun, what? Pat Cummins beat him. What? Pat Cummins? Pat Cummins can't take a punch. Sam Alvey grinds him up. Alexei, uh, Michael Luxichuk, pretty dope, just blows right through him. Now he wants to go to heavyweight. Now he wants to take time off. Now he's in his mid-30s. Now his buddy breaks his leg. Now he's singling his retirement, none of which would ever make me want to bet on John Vellante. So I quite simply just can't do that. And the last point I want to make is he's a 2-1 to -one favorite over Jake Collier when he lost. He was a... Two to one favorite. He was a 220 favorite over Pat Cummins when he lost. He was a favorite over Shogun when he lost. He was a big favorite over Tom Lawler when he lost. He was a big favorite over Fabio Maldonado when he lost. Like this, this guy loses as a favorite all of the time. So I'm just not interested in John Vellante. For that reason, auto fade. Gotta go Chris Barnett. Um, yeah, I don't really love the props on this one, but I'll go with Fight Goes the Distance plus 110, Barnett by decision plus 350. It, it really seems to come down to who's going to gas first. That guy yeah. more than likely lose. You know, I mean, both guys have a solid case that they'll probably gas first, right? And shout out to our guy Daniel here with the prop of the fight. Fight ends via heart attack plus 375. Yeah, there you go. Put me down for a couple bucks there because I'll yeah. probably be on that as well. All right, let's move on to the next fight and get away from this shit show because. Cody, we got so many other better fights to fucking talk about. <laughs> Let's move on to Jordan Williams taking on uh, UFC debutante uh, Ian Gary coming over there from Cage Warriors. Obviously, heavy chalk here on Ian Gary sitting at minus 390 return on Jordan Williams at plus 320. The UFC knows what they are doing here, Cody. Just like another UFC debutante later on in this card. They match this up perfectly, in my opinion, for Ian Gary to go out there and get a decent win to start off his UFC career. And... Uh, you know, upgrade that shiny 7-0 record to an 8-0 record. I put Jordan Williams on the Cage Warriors level of competition. You might as well make this a Cage Warriors fight. I'm not big on Jordan Williams. He has some good power. The highlight of his career will probably be able or was probably going out there and rocking, uh, knocking out Gregory Rodriguez on the contender series last year. Outside of that, man, there's not much to like, right? Like the Mickey Gall fight, he gets rocked immediately. And then from there, he just doesn't seem the same. He gets choked out pretty quickly thereafter. Uh, he did change training camps before his last fight. Moved over there to the factory, actually trained with Mark Montoya and those guys in Colorado. 
didn't work out in the last fight. Let's see if he can make any improvements and showcase anything this time around. Apparently, he has like a ton of like jujitsu tattoos, but I just don't really see much of that jujitsu in work when he's actually pushed in the jujitsu realm, which is hilarious. Uh, and Ian Gary, man, this kid looks smooth as a motherfucker. Uh, good striking, in my opinion. Uses his distance very well. Great combinations. Great high kick. Uh, but he disguises his takedowns very well, too. I think he'll be able to get this fight to the ground uh, with a little bit of resistance. Jordan Williams has a decent wrestling game, but I do see him giving up takedowns, and I think that's what's going to happen here. And then from there, I think we see Ian Gary slowly work himself to a better position, get to a dominant position, and then eventually sink in a choke. And that prop is a little bit surprising to me right now. Ian Gary via submission is currently sitting at plus 550, plus 500, depending on the certain spots that you're looking at. If Mickey Gall is tapping your ass, and albeit, you know, Mickey Gall, a decent jiu-jitsu player himself, this is MMA at the end of the day. I believe Ian Gary will be able to do the same thing here. So I'm not giving much of a shot to uh, Mr. Mr. Williams. I think his best shot to win this fight would be a Hail Mary KO at plus 700. Outside of that, I think Ian Gary has his fight wrapped up in a bow, and he takes home his first UFC victory. I'm taking Ian Gary by submission, plus 550. Cody, what do you like here? Yeah, yeah, I think the UFC, again, like you said, they're trying to set up Ian Gary to come out, get a decent little win. I mean, he seems like a solid enough prospect. I would be probably way overboard on this kid and bet way too much had I not just got burnt by that Justin Berlinson on the Contender Series. Ooh. Berlinson looked good on tape, man. 17-1 amateur, 6-0 as a pro, moves well, good grappling off his back, decent submission game, long-rangey jab. And if there was, like, one little knock to his game, he does keep his hands low. And that's all it took for Yohan Lioness to catch him. So Ian Gary, when you watch him on tape, this kid's very confident, very flashy, excellent ma uh, maintain, excellent ability to maintain the distance. Kicks for days. My God. His left high kick comes out of nowhere and catches you. I wouldn't compare him to Crow Cup, but his ability to snap that thing up around your guard before you even have a chance to react, you know, it's a dangerous problem. But if there is one knock on him, kid uh, keeps his hands really low. Like, he's a very hittable target. I just don't know that it matters in this fight with Jordan Williams because as hittable as he may be, Jordan Williams doesn't have any real pop in his power, whereas Johan Lyness, if there was only one thing to the guy's game, <laughs> he had some power. Man, in his Burlinson, hand. though, man, the, the guy was willingly trading in the pocket with him. Not a good look against the guy in Johan who just needs, you know, to to accept that firefight for a couple exchanges, and you're likely looking up at the lights. You know what? The first boxing class I ever actually that's a lie. The first boxing class I ever attended, the guy was fucked i left i left one class i was like i can't do this second class i ever went different gym the the number one thing they were just like don't hook with a hooker and everyone would laugh don't hook with a hooker it's a hooker but still to this day i think about that why would you bob he bobs to the left and cocks up on that left hook you bob to the right and cock up on the same hook like no no one guy's gonna land it's a 50 50 proposition if he lands before you you're going down if you land before him to be honestly i think lane s would have taken one anyway but you don't want to put yourself into the heat. He did that. That's what Ian Gary is going to do. Ian Gary comes forward. Ian Gary is actually pretty long, and he could just stay to the outside and use his kicking game, but he's forward pressure. He's coming at you. I'm sure you watched that last fight with Jack Grant, 25-minute fight for Cage yeah. Warriors for the welterweight title. The kid's just talking shit to Jack Grant the whole way through. In the fourth round, he's like, you haven't even hit me yet, dog. You did hit me yet? It's like, whoa, <laughs> I like this kid. Also, his last two wins, most notable, but Rostam Ackman fought in the UFC, went 0-2, but he went the distance with uh, the Candyman, Sergey Kandeshko, and also went the distance with Jake Matthews. He, he smacks him lopsided the head with a beautiful kick. Like, the kid's Crumpled got power. Him. Just crumpled him bad. So with Jordan Williams, I'll give it that, right? Jordan Williams lost to Dwight Grant, first-round knockout, and he had lost to this Rodrigo Vargas when the doctor uh, threw in the, basically threw in the towel for him three minutes in. 
So it wasn't like he has some legendary chin. It was the Nasrudin Imovov fight where he took some big shots. Even the Ramazan Kermagomedov fight in the contender series, to a much lesser extent, he eats some pretty big shots. So it's like, you know what? This kid's got an excellent chin. He's got an awesome chin. You know, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to do something different. Like he he can take your best shot and he has decent cardio. But Mickey Gall rocked his shit. And so to me, that would became a big red flag where I don't think his chin's as great as it we probably believe it to be. The other problem is he was fighting all those other guys at a uh, middleweight, right? He yeah. weighs in at like 182, but he's not cutting one single pound. He actually took some shots from Gregory Rodriguez as well. He's not cutting no weight. Now against Mickey Gall, he's like, oh, you know what? We found a way to make 170, to work around the diabetes and make 170. Well, you know what? He wasn't really used to fighting at 170, not in a while. I don't know what the weight cut took out of him, but he looked like shit against Mickey Gall. And so all I can do is assume that he's going to be closer to the last version we saw of him than the one we saw at middleweight. And so I think that Williams is going to be compromised. His ability to take a shot is going to be compromised. His wrestling really not all that good to begin with. I don't really know anything that I love about his game. He seems to have okay cardio and an okay chin. If that chin's not on the table anymore, he's just got okay cardio. And he's fighting a guy that just fought for 25 minutes and pretty much dominated the entire 25 minutes. Got to go with Ian Gary, right? In terms of a prop on this um, fight, I got the over one and a half at minus 110, even though I think Williams' chin not as good as maybe we thought it once was. Over one and a half, geez, not too bad. And then ultimately, Gary probably takes him out down the stretch. But because over one and a half is only minus 110, I think I probably just locked that in as the play for this fight. Interesting aspect or storyline in that last fight for Ian Gary. His team up and left him fight week in the biggest fight of his uh, life uh, where he was going up for that title. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what happened there, but they did leave him. I believe it was Chris Fields, if you guys remember Chris Fields from yeah. the, the Irish scene over there. Um, yeah, they, they just completely up and left him. Uh, and then he was forced to change caps after that. And now he's down there at Sanford MMA uh, getting in some pretty damn good training with Henry Hooft and those guys. Go ahead, Cody. Yeah, actually, just to parlay on that, that's going to really serve him well. And don't know if James Gallagher wins his fight versus Patrick Mix. Patrick Mix is a stud. But beyond that, SPG Ireland's a shithole, right? And yeah. you need to get out of there ASAP to further your career. This is the best thing that could have happened to this kid, going to an actual gym like Sanford MMA and being able to be surrounded by top training partners and top coaches instead of frauds like John Kavanaugh. And I think that James Gallagher will be in a very similar situation where he's now under the tutelage of James Krause over in Kansas City. Less distractions, better coaching, better trading partners. These guys are going to develop from that, right? So I, in many ways, even though I compared him to, to Justin Burlinson, I'm a little bit worried. He's done absolutely the right thing, which is get out of the his comfort zone and go train with some of the best guys in the world. So I, yeah, I think, and I think that a guy like Henry Hoof and you know a guy like Gilbert Burns, they see this kid walk in. There's a lot we can work with here. We can help this kid out tremendously, and uh, sky's the limit for him, right? So this would be a good coming out party, and I think Williams is so generally such a generalist. He does everything just average. That eventually he's going to get picked apart in one area, whether it be the striking, whether it be he can't take the punch anymore, whether it be Gary's actually, his takedown defense doesn't actually look too bad to me. I think he's got Williams gunned out pretty much most aspects. It's just, I just got burned by some super hyped up European prospect, not really rushing to get yeah. burned again. Uh, if he was still in SBG Ireland, I'd straight up fade him. The fact that he's gotten out of that gym, I think it's the right move and he will uh, reap the benefits of it. Just to clarify, he actually wasn't at SPG. He's with uh, Chris Fields, who has his own gym. I think it's called CK Gym or some shit like uh, but that. Chris Fields was one of the coaches yeah, at SPG was, for yes. a very long time. Chris the Killings Field. They tried to get him there on the go. Ultimate Fighter twice, and both yeah. times he got knocked out. So, yeah, uh, yeah exactly. I mean, it's a very low-level program.
All right, let's move on to the next fight. Here we got uh, Edmund Shabazian talking about hot prospects or former hot prospects going up against uh, Nasruddin Imovov. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 115 now for Nasruddin and minus 105 to return on Shabazian. The line moving on this fight, very interesting. We had uh, Imovov open up at minus 140, get bet down to minus 160, and then a ton of money coming in on Edmund Shabazian. And now we have a pretty much a, a pick and fight here. I cannot back Edmund Shabazian until that cardio is fixed because he falls off a cliff in that second and third round. And albeit he had some success in that third round against Jack Hermanson, it just wasn't enough for him to actually get the decision in that fight as uh, obviously Jack Hermanson got a nice 10-8 in that third round as well. That first round, though, kid looked good, right? The kid reminded us of why we were so high on him. Very crisp jab, very good combinations. Uh, but it seemed like at, at a certain point, it started to wear on him. Like, he started putting his hands on his hips. And, like, it's just not a good look at all. Uh, from the Imovov side, showed tremendous improvements in his last fight against Ian Heinish, where he was able to stop takedowns, get off of the fence, which is something he was unable to do in his fight with Jordan Williams and his fight with Phil Hawes. Now he's finally, you know, digging under hooks, pivoting off, and and getting his back off the cage, and then letting himself shine with in, with his best strength, which is his striking. And I'm expecting him to pull away in this fight in the second and third rounds once again. I do have a bit of a concern if Edmund Shabazian goes out there and tries to implement a grapple-heavy game plan because he could be successful with that in that first round. But Cody, me and you know both know that if you go out there and try to implement a grapple-heavy game plan, you are going to exert your energy even quicker. So if he doesn't get Imovov out of there in that first round, rounds two and round three are going to look very bad. So could be a live betting opportunity if you wait until the end of round one to go in on Imovov. But I do like Imovov in this spot, man. I do think he'll survive that first round. He'll do some work in that second round. And then I think he'll get Shabazzian out of there in that third round. So you damn straight. I'm going to be pinpointing that third round prop for Imovov, which is currently sitting around plus 1,000, plus 1,300 at current spots that, you're, that you could be getting at. But even at that money line, minus 115, not too bad, man. I think both guys are kind of on different trajectories now with uh, Imovov really showing improvements in that last fight. I, I just need to see those improvements in more than one fight. And that's kind of what's keeping me back from going even deeper on Imovov in this spot. Uh, Shabazian, again, will likely have the grappling advantage if he chooses to go there. But if this fight gets extended into round two and round three, it could be bad news for him. I mean, I think he, a guy like Imovov will be able to pick him apart and possibly finish him in that third round. So I like, like I said, Imovov round three and Imovov by TKO, which is plus, oh, sorry, uh, TKO, which is plus 260. Uh, I, I feel like I'm short selling Edmund here. I feel like we might get some Edmund love from your side up, maybe. How do you feel about this match? Yeah, no, you're not going to. But Edmund Shabazian could theoretically, <laughs> in theory, could be a legitimate prospect. He's still only 23 years old. It's amazing. But you're you're right. We we can't assume he's fixed up his cardio without actually seeing it first, and we haven't seen it. When you look at his career, right, 43-second knockout, first-round knockout, first-round knockout, first-round knockout, first-round knockout, first-round knockout, first-round knockout, UFC debut, split decision, went over Darren Stewart. Gassed. First time the fight had gone out of the first round, this kid wasn't quite as good as we thought. But he rebounds with a first-round knockout of Charles Bird, first-round knockout of Jack uh, Marshman, first-round knockout of Brad Tavares. That ain't easy to do, by the way. And then the Derek Brunson fight. I, I thought he started out fairly good in that fight as well until he gassed out, got taken down, and made a fool of himself. Jack Hermanson fight, geez. I'm thinking, oh, man, the Brunson. Brunson does this to guys. I screwed up taking Jack Hermanson. But as soon as we got out of that first round, it was like, sweet, sweet, sweet. Different kid, different kid altogether. 
has he been able to improve that? You'd like to believe so, but again, he's 23 years old. He's they're not doing him any favors. Derek Brunson, Jack Hermanson, and now a decent enough guy in Nasruddin Imovov. Even before that, Brad Brad Tavares. Like I get he's he won, but he's only 23 years old. You should slow play this kid. Bring him along slowly. I'd love if he was wrestling every day and grappling every day. Mind you, he's been wrestling and grappling since he was like seven years old. So surely he knows how to do it. But you you made the best point. That stuff is is taxing on the body. If you're going out there and you're wrestling, it's going to tire you out. He's also he's already known to have lackluster cardio. When you look at Nasruddin Imovov, he's kind of in the same position, kind of a busted prospect. He's 25 years old. He's still young. He seems to be ultra talented. Uh, he, he beats Jordan Williams in his debut, but didn't look great. And then he completely gasses out against Phil Hawes, makes a fool out of himself. Almost knocked out Phil Hawes in the second and the third, but. Just looked very underprepared, couldn't wrestle properly, didn't have the gas tank. We're writing this guy off. Even though I'm a fan of him, doesn't look great. It's that Ian Heinish fight. Ian Heinish never been knocked out. He's got a great chin on him. Nasser and Dean Imovov absolutely cut right through him. Uh, well, take him down. Ian, no, Ian tried, man. 0 for 3 on takedowns. Never even came close to taking Imovov down. And the longer the fight went, okay, don't worry. Heinish trains at altitude. He's in Colorado. The, guy, the guy's built like a brick shit. Was, he don't tire out. Mouth open, gasping for air. I, now, it might have been a bad Heinrich performance, absolutely. Or it might have been a pretty good Nasruddin Imovov performance. And that's what I'm going with here. His takedown defense looks like it's improved, even though Phil Hawes took him down. Phil Hawes is a national champion out of uh, Iowa Community Central, Central Community College, sorry. So, you know, Hawes knows how to wrestle, right? He went four for seven. Nasruddin got taken down the early, in the early going, was able to stuff him down the stretch. Uh, Ian Heinish, Ian Heinish is not a bad wrestler at all. Spend time in Rikers Island. Guy knows how to fight. But the longer the fight goes, same thing. He tires him out. He stuffs his takedowns, and he, and he butchers him. So when I think about him and Edmund Shabazian, Shabazian stands with Imovov. We're going to have a real fun fight. But in the second and the third round, well, yeah, Shabazian's expected to slow down, and Imovov could be able to take care of, take the edge over. As far as the wrestling goes, if Shabazian goes out and tries to grapple him, he probably does figure to have a slight grappling edge. But as we've seen, it's getting harder and harder by the day to take Imovov down. And if Shabazian goes with a grapple-heavy first round, He's going to be tired in the second and third. Even if he has his way in the first round, has anybody ever finished Nasruddin Imovov in the first round? That's right. His pro debut, when he fought a nine-fight veteran, he got caught in a guillotine choke. Since then, he has not been finished. He's been in bad spots, but he seems like a durable enough guy. So I got to go with Nasruddin Imovov. I could see Shabazian coming out with a whole bunch of improvements and this and that, but they're both young, and I, and I like more what I've seen out of Imovov. So... I got this fight to go over one and a half, minus 175. Again, they're both strikers. They're both durable. Shabazian's knocked out a lot of guys in the first round, but Imovov's never been knocked out. He has. I've seen him take some shots before. Seems to have a good chin. I think if Imovov wins, it's after a round and a half when Shabazian tires. So I think I'm good on either side with the over one and a half. But Nasruddin Imovov decision plus 300. Shit, I don't mind that. I mean, Shabazian's a pretty durable guy again as well. Uh, has a decent enough submission game, has a de decent enough chin. It's tiring him out is how you finish him. Brunson's able to take him into deep waters, but you know that's a top five, top ten guy, Derek Brunson. Is Imovov going to take him into deep waters and get a late finish? Probably not. Probably just control the action, win this fight down the stretch. So as far as a plus 300, yeah, I, I think you could do worse on a Nasruddin Imovov decision prop. But the main play on this one will just be that over one and a half, minus 175, keep it safe. 
I would not be doing my job if I didn't at least mention that Edmund Shabazian seems to have left Glendale Fight Club and is now over there at AKA. So we'll see what they can do with this uh, prospect that seems to be busted uh, over his last couple of fights. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got uh, Phil Hawes, who we just talked about, going up against Chris Curtis. In terms of odds, we got minus 320 on Phil Hawes, plus 260 on Chris Curtis. Now, if you guys remember a couple of weeks ago, we were actually supposed to have this matchup as Phil Hawes was, or sorry, uh, Chris Curtis was going to step in on very, very short notice to replace Deron Wynn. Uh, he even weighed in, and then Phil Hawes was like, ah, I'm good. Let's do this fight uh, uh, in a couple weeks, and that's exactly what we're getting here. We're still getting relatively similar odds, uh, but goddamn, I, I, I feel like I would be doing a, a disservice to you guys to to say that you should be parlaying or playing Phil Hawes at this crazy minus 320 line. And I know he has two decision victories under his belt at this point in time, but we still need to see it shake out a little bit more before we can say we can bank on him to do something like that over and over again. Because Chris Curtis is a wily veteran. This guy has been all over the place fighting at all different fucking weight classes. Like even if you look at his last three fights, uh, light heavyweight, middleweight, and welterweight. And now he's taking this fight at middleweight. I think his second fight in the UFC will more than likely take place at welterweight, especially if he wants to be taken seriously. And he doesn't have too much more time, right? He's 34 years old, really needs to get things going. This is a winnable fight for him, right? He can go out there. Uh, he will more than likely get taken down. But I do think that he has good enough get-up games, as we saw in the Magomed Karamov fights, that he could potentially slow down Phil Haas and potentially get him out of there early. I have no intentions of playing this fight, but I am very intrigued by the Chris Curtis uh, round three prop, which is currently sitting at plus 1825. Phil Hawes slows down, gets hurt in every single fight, even the ones that he wins. He's getting hurt. Chris Curtis has some pretty big bombs in his hands, and even his KO prop around plus 650, plus 700 is not too bad of a look either because I think... I'd be surprised if he's the minute winner in this fight. I think if he's having success, more than likely it's coming via striking. More than likely it's coming via him knocking out Phil Haas in the spot. For some reason, I still up on end up on the prediction side of Phil Haas surviving all that, landing enough takedowns and kind of wrapping him up enough to win this fight via decision. And I believe that line is currently sitting at uh, plus 230. But... The only money that's going on this fight for me is the round three Chris uh, Curtis or uh, the TKO for Chris Curtis as well. I have a feeling you have a pretty solid lean in this fight, and I can't wait to hear it. Please. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm a big fan of the action man Chris Curtis, the king of combat. So full disclosure, I am the matchmaker for Fight Night's promotion up in Alberta, and Chris Curtis is our welterweight and our middleweight champion. He's our champ champ. Again, you go to this topology page, that's right from our event, Ryan Quinn's interviewing him, and it's him with both of his Fight Night belts. So... This guy will take on anybody at 170 pounds. He'll take on anybody at 185 pounds. And yeah, as you mentioned, he took the Jerome Thatch fight on short notice at 205 just because he loves to fight. You talk to him, it's all about Valhalla. It's all about ensuring he's got a seat at the table. He's, he's chasing guts and glory. And the guy's pretty tough. I've only seen him turn down one opponent out of anybody you can offer him. And, and we've offered him everybody. Only ever turned down one opponent. You want to know who it was? Elias Theodoru. And what? why you may ask, and why you may ask, because Chris Curtis is like, I want to get punched in the face, dog. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, all right, fair enough. I wouldn't want to fight Elias either. He's just gonna, like, this guy wants to fight. His whole yeah. thing is he wants to fight. I like him a lot. So when you look at a couple notable things here, right? When you talk about, oh, geez, well, he's well-traveled, man. He's got uh, 20, he's 26 and 8. His losses, Ray Cooper, just won a million dollars in the PFL. Magomed Karamov. Also had won a million dollars in the BFL. Just <laughs> yeah. lost Ray Cooper for an additional million dollars. Top two welterweights in BFL. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and, and if you look, he lost to both of them in the same fucking night. Because even yeah. though he lost the first round of the tournament, 
they were like, would you mind going out and find Cooper? And he did it because he loves to fight. <laughs> Only time he's ever been knocked out. He'll admit, he'll advise. <clears throat> but he also won the first round. Rewatch it. Looked good in the first round. So he loses to Magomed Karamov twice, right? His other pro losses, Nashawn Burrell, biggest robbery I've ever seen. If you rewatch it, it's sickening. But it's a five-round fight. Nashawn Burrell is a UFC veteran. Bilal Muhammad is a UFC veteran. Forrest Petz is a UFC veteran. Tom Glickio is a UFC veteran. He doesn't lose to bums. He loses to guys that are eventually made to the show. He's on a great winning streak right now. And this is the other notable thing about him, right? So the Sean Lally Contender Series fight. He had a broken arm, and he still knocked the guy out with a, with a sweet chin music, Shawn Michaels style. They didn't give him a contract, but it's a third-round finish. Andre Fialo, third-round finish. Darren Smith Jr., fourth-round finish. Kyle Stewart, third-round finish. Jerome Hatch, third-round finish. He's got more third- and fourth-round finishes than almost anybody. He's fought 25-minute time limit many of times. He's full-time of an extreme couture where he's Sean Strickland's top training partner. He's been Sean, Strickland, uh, Sean Strickland's top training partner for like three, four years now, dating back to the time at Dan Henderson's camp in Temecula, California. He's been doing the last three months with Kamzat Chemaev, Alexander Gustafson, uh, Jake Shields, Albert Durayev, all the guys that are in Extreme Couture on like the A-team. He's with them. So all he does is work on takedown defense. He's got cardio for days, and he never overextends himself. He's not a one-hitter quitter. He's a volume puncher. He doesn't load up. He touch, touch, touch. You know, pokes at the bear and then rips, rips the body unlike anybody, power in both hands, puts pressure on you, and continuously breaks you down. That is everything you need to beat Phil Hawes. Phil Hawes is a one-round guy. I'm sure he's working on it, but he's been the same throughout his career. You look at his own history, the Lewis Taylor fight. He gasses out and got choked down in the second. Uh, the Julian Marcus fight, he gassed out and got KO'd in the second. On the ultimate fighter against Andrew Sanchez, he was walking around telling everybody how he was better than John Jones. How he trained with John Jones, he won rounds off him all the time in the gym. Watch how special I am. Loses to Andrew fucking Sanchez. Also, what's notable there is Andrew Sanchez was the one that did not gas in that fight. What? <laughs> Sanchez always gasses. <laughs> but it was an exhibition two-rounder, so that's why <laughs> Sanchez didn't gas. Um, moving on, you see he, he goes on this run, right? First round knockout, first round knockout, first round knockout, first round knockout. He draws Nasruddin Imovov. Now everyone's like, oh, he's fixed his cardio. Well, how do you know? He just knocked yeah. out everybody in the first round. I'm going to go ahead and say, this guy's got shit cardio and he'll gas out. That Imovov fight was highly embarrassing. He only actually, he got outstruck 57 to 31. It was the four takedowns. He got rocked at the end of the second. He got rocked midway through the third. He almost got knocked out twice. He looked like absolute shit and clung on for dear life and pressed him into the cage. It's a horrendous performance. But people don't actually go back and rewatch these fights. Hell, people don't even remember watching them live. They just say, oh, he's got to win. All I need to know. Fair enough. So then the Kyle Doukas fight looks a lot better because he does get the takedowns. He establishes top control and he holds him down. Doukas is a guy who's got decent grappling. I believe he's a BJJ black belt. Yes. Didn't really offer up much resistance. Again, you don't see Phil Haas with big ground and pound or nothing. He only lands 66 strikes throughout the course of the fight. But it's the two takedowns that were key. But there was not enough resistance pressed against him to cause him to tire out. I think that Chris Curtis, even though Curtis is better as a, as a welterweight, this fight's at 185, he will probably struggle in the early going with, you know, the big speed, the big power, and the big wrestling, that explosiveness of Phil Hawes. He needs to just survive the first round. In the second round, he will stuff the takedowns, and he will box him up. In the third round, he will stuff the takedowns, and he will knock him out. So, yeah, I got Chris Curtis by KO at plus 650. I would sprinkle a little bit on the third round prop, even though, you know, we'll take it when we can get it. I don't care when it happens. I would it's just like happen. it to happen. <laughs> and keep in mind, I'm a big Chris Curtis guy, and I also have a strong dislike for Philip Haas. So don't take this as this the end-all, be-all. But uh, my boy's getting his hand raised with a, with a TKO finish, and I'm going to cash this plus 650 ticket. I'll be happy with that.
I like it. I like it. Again, Haas, in my opinion, to this point, has not shown enough to me that he deserves to be a minus 320 favorite in this spot. All right, let's move on to the next fight. And we got the return of Rajin Al Iaquinta going up against Bobby Green. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus uh, 175 for Bobby Green, plus 155 for Al Iaquinta. And uh, Cody, I don't know the last time you can say you've seen this. I don't know when the last time I can say I've seen this. The over two and a half is sitting at minus 400. I can't remember the last time I've seen a men's over that juiced up, right? But that is a, a clear indication of how most people expect this fight to go. And that is likely to a decision going the full 15 minutes. Um, I was writing up an article and saying, you know, rather than taking the, the money line on Bobby Green at minus 175, something that he's always ended up doing is having close fights with his opponents, maybe even getting robbed in a couple of his fights. So why take minus 175 when you can take the over two and a half? And then I saw that the over two and a half was minus 400. It's like, oh shit, never mind. That's a little bit too juice for my liking. But more than likely, this fight goes to a decision. Um, I do like the uh, the 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 decision prop for Bobby Green a little bit more, roughly around that minus 120 line. Uh, obviously, being the more active guy, uh, in my opinion, the better technical striker puts on a decent amount of volume. Uh, I think his takedown defense. Is okay, but his get-ups are decent enough that I don't think that Ally Quinto will get tremendous amount of top time. But that's the only way I really see Ally Quinto winning this fight is if he's able to implement that grapple-heavy approach. I just don't know how effective it will be, especially considering that it looks like he has a foot and a half out the door of this MMA game. Not to mention, apparently, like they just threw this fight at him and he didn't even know it was like official. Uh, like they started tweeting out about it, the UFC that is, uh, before he even signed the contract. He's like, you know what? It's at Madison Square Garden. It's in my neck of the woods. Let me just fucking take the fight. But he'll more than likely end up losing it. And I think it's more so it's just, again, they're in their neck of the woods. Let's get a guy that's a local favorite and, uh, you know, can draw a little bit of a crowd and, you know, albeit hardcores. Uh, but it's a great fight and it's a great matchup because the guy and Bobby Green, who's more than likely going to go out there and fight with him too. I think if there is a finish, uh, you know, the, the ally Quinta classic KO power that he used to have back in the day, that's probably one way it happens. But outside of that, man, Bobby Green hasn't shown any, uh, uh, you know, intentions of finishing any fights as of late. So I just wouldn't believe that he's going to be the one that gets to finish here. I'm going Bobby Green, minus 120 to win by decision. Uh, would I parlay the over two and a half? Nah, man, minus 400 is a little bit crazy considering that we got like men who can go out there and, and finish fights. But this is a very weird stylistic matchup for me. I'm going to go Bobby Green, uh, and I'll take him by decision. Not certain that I'll actually make the bet myself. How do you feel about this one? Am I not giving enough justification to uh, to Iaquinta, or do you agree that he's kind of just half-assing this fight as well? Yeah, well, it's tough to say that he's full-assing the fight because, yeah, he's a real estate agent in New York. Like he's, got, he's 34 years old. He's got a job outside of fighting. He's gone on record multiple times complaining about knee injuries and not getting paid enough and I'm not going to fight unless I get paid and I don't care about this sport so it's like well if you're not training you don't care about this sport you have a bum knee and you're selling real estate then like are you in the gym all the time are you grinding all the time Bobby Green's case it's like he fights very often he was like very nearly pandemic fighter of the year in the early going it's just he could fight every other week right and then he lost to Tiago Moises which I, I don't agree he lost that fight I thought he won <clears throat> but one thing stands true in Bobby Green's fights all Bobby Green's fights, they all go to decision and they're all razor close. And even when he supposedly does win the fight, the judges give him a bum read because his body language, he's always shaking it off. He's always saying, no, he doesn't respect his opponent, doesn't respect the shot. He spends a lot of time clowning around. The judges don't like that. So if you look at the Rafael Pazee fight, a lot of people thought he won, but it's unanimous because he's shaking his head all the time. He fought an excellent fight, dude. That was an excellent fight from Bobby Green. 
but he does himself no favors. The Chago Moises fight, he should have won. It's the head shake. The Francisco Trinaldo fight, the Dracar Close fight, it's the same shit. He's always shaking his head. He's always no. He's always brushing it off. I don't think the judges like it in the in the long run. So again, when you look at his last ten fights of gone to decision, they were pretty much all close decisions. He's lost four of those decisions, which he probably should have won on the basis of it's a close fight. You, I can't bet Bobby Green anymore. I can't bet him as a favorite. I'd bet him as an underdog because I'm expecting it's going to be a close decision. Maybe it goes my way. But as a favorite, I just can't get behind him. That it's pro this thing's going to decision. You mentioned it yourself, minus four hundred for the over two and a half. Judge it. Everybody kind of agrees. I think it's going the full fifteen. So is, we're going to have a decision, a close decision. Do you really want favorite status at that? Probably not. So when you look at Bobby Green to win a decision, which was how Bobby Green would likely win this fight, it's like even money. But when you look at Ally Clinton to win a decision, it's plus two eighty. So this is going to decision. It's going to be close. It'd be competitive. It's in New York, where, I mean, Regin Al is a fan favorite and has likely sold a lot of these people some real estate. Yeah, yeah. Why, why couldn't he get the bum decision? And everyone's going to say, oh, I thought Bobby won that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We think Bobby wins all the time, but he does himself no favors. It's just a close, greasy fight is what it comes down to. So I would take the ally quitted by decision plus 280 or nothing at all. Just pass on it. Yeah, exactly. I, I want nothing to do with what Bobby Green fights, to be honest, especially if you got to pay chalk on the man. Nah, I'm good. All right, let's move on to the prelim headliner here. We got the UFC debut of Alex Pereira. Yes, the Alex Pereira that went out there and knocked out Israel Adesanya during his kickboxing days. Going up against a hand-picked opponent that, do I even need to say his name? <laughs> like We got Andreas uh, Mihalaitis uh, stepping in to play the jobber role, in my opinion. Uh, in terms of odds, obviously, heavy chalk on Pereira, minus 250. Plus 210, the return on Andreas Mihalaitis. And this seems just like Ian Gary and Jordan Williams early on in the card. This seems like one of those spots that the UFC is just trying to prop up Pereira. Uh, no pun intended on that, by the way. Uh, but prop up Pereira here and try to get him a knockout and try to get him on a highlight reel in his UFC debut. And I feel like this is the perfect opponent to do that against. Mihalaitis from tape looks like that guy that just kind of wades forward, wide-winging shots, trying to knock your head into the third round. And luckily for him, he faced almost no resistance in his last fight against fellow Indo-Canadian KB Buller, who was just content with just staying on the outside and, uh, you know, kind of thinking that he was going to outstrike Mihalaitis from there, but had no success in doing so. Uh, I think Mihalaitis, for him to have success in this fight, he's going to have to drag this fight to the ground, find some sort of grappling uh, heavy approach, but that's not historically how he fights, right? Uh, so with the Pereira side, you got to believe that he wins this fight by knockout, right? I, I took the shot myself. I took him inside the distance at plus 110. Uh, that's what they're offering over there at cool bet. Uh, but him inside the distance based on best fight odds, uh, minus 115, him by KO, minus 115, makes absolute sense. It would be hilarious if he goes out there and submits uh, Andreas Mihalaitis in his UFC debut. I I'm trying to figure out a way for... Uh, to give some credence to Mihalaitis. I think it's more so based on, you know, Pereira is only three and one, isn't a, a huge MMA guy yet, uh, and still requires the experience. And that's where Mihalaitis may have a little bit of an advantage, but he still needs to go out there and implement that type of, uh, a, of a fight against a guy like Pereira. Not to mention, Pereira is going to have a pretty sizable advantage here in, in pretty much every metric. Uh, six four compared to the six foot, uh, and then 80 inch reach compared to the 75 inch reach of Mihalaitis as well. UFC knows what they're doing here, man. I, I like Pereira. I like him inside the distance. I think him around even money to finish this fight is, is a decent bet. Again, I got in at plus 110. Uh, and if you want to just get a little bit crazier, 
Uh, the under one and a half at plus 120, not too bad either. That does, uh, you know, maybe save uh, the potential of Mihalaitis getting a Hail Mary knockout of his own. Um, I know I've already seen John's three best prop bets, and he actually has Mihalaitis inside the distance. And I know he has a little bit of a bet on Mihalaitis, and I would have loved to have him on the show to explain his reasoning. But uh, he is actually going to be doing his Club and Sub podcast later this evening. So make sure you guys go check out the Club and Sub boys. Again, link is in the description below for their channel just so you can hear his thought process in regards to that. But I like Prairie here, man. I think he goes out there and knocks his kid out. Again, plus 110 inside the distance. What I have a bet on, Cody, uh, what do you like in this fight? Yeah, every time that we say like one of those guaranteed not go in the distance, for some reason it tends to go the distance. I don't think anybody yeah. thought Tiago Santos, Johnny Walker was getting over the two and a half, let alone the full 25. But sometimes crazy shit happens. But yeah, this is a spot where I would suggest, I, how does it go the distance? Minus 225 fight doesn't go the distance. Seems like it's got to be one of your locks of the week. When you look at Andrea Mikolaitis, uh, his four pro losses, he's been knocked out all four times. So right in there, if he's in a firefight, he doesn't have the best chin going, but he's got a decent enough ground game. He's got a, some some okay technique, some okay ground and pound. And you got to think, if you're taking on Alex Pereira, the game plan can't be stand with the guy, right? <laughs> yeah. You would got, especially when you've been knocked out four times, four pro losses, you got to take the guy down. If he successfully gets him to the ground, you would think it's his wheelhouse. He should be able to secure an inside-the-distance victory. If he doesn't get this fight to the ground, again, I would think that the Pereira is able to chin-check him. What I like about Pereira is that it's not just, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I beat Israel Adesanya, you know, I'll fight MMA. He's, he's been talking about fighting MMA for like three or four years. And I would strongly suggest that during that time, he's been, um, he's been training. He's been working on his ground game overall. We did see him fight LFA against Thomas Powell. He knocks him out in the first round. Gorgeous KO. Absolutely gorgeous KO. But then that was a year ago. Hasn't done anything since then. Still did have a glory MMA contract. But you see the wheels are in motion. It's not like Clarissa Shields. She picks up MMA, and then three months later, she's in a fight. And then four months later, she's having her second fight. This guy's taking the proper time. Now, you mentioned 6'4 against 6 foot against Mikolaitis, 100%. Not only is Alex Pereira the former glory middleweight champion, he knocked out Israel Adesanya. He's also the former glory light heavyweight champion, where he beat um, Artem Vak Vakatov. Did lose a split or a majority his last time against him, but at 205 pounds. At 6'4, this guy's a monster if he can make 185. And 185, where this fight's going to take place, it's going to be difficult to take him down just because he is a big boy, and all he's got to do is land a few shots. I think the move is the fight doesn't go the distance, minus 225. But to further that along, Pereira should be able to TKO him at a minus 110 price tag. Seems about reasonable enough to me. So <laughs> the last thing, you know, I'll just bring up the narrative on it. If you're the UFC, you got Israel Adesanya. He's the champion of the middleweight division. And who exactly do you have to fight him? There's no readily available number one contender. Yoel Romero is no longer with the promotion. Jacques Correa, I believe, just retired or is certainly on his way to retiring. Long gone are your days of Chris Weidman, who's got a shattered leg. Gegard Mousasi is no longer with the promotion. They don't have anybody for him to fight for the most part. They're hoping Paulo Costa would step up and be some great thing, but he didn't. Marvin Vittori just got a title fight. In fact, he's already fought Izzy twice. What do you do with him? They tried moving Izzy to 205 where he got beat by Jan Blakovic, who turned out to not be a, a fantastic champion in his own right. What do you do with Israel Adesanya? Shit, we got a beautiful storyline right here. Alex Pereira's defeated him. He's a kickboxer. This is going to be a kickboxing battle. What fight, fight fan wouldn't want to see two of the world's best strikers collide inside the cage? There's a great narrative. And even though he's only 3-1, and one, no way we can give him a title fight. Because we have this backstory, we can push him along. So what they need for him to do is come in here, have a successful UFC debut, add to his highlight reel, and then they're going to move him along the ladder at a very accelerated rate, especially because he's 34, and especially because he's not making $12,000 like a regular debuting UFC fighter. He's making Boku bucks because he has that big reputation. 
they will look to you know streamline him along. And the best way to do that is the highlight real KO. The best way to ensure a highlight real KO is get someone like Mikolaitis, four losses, all four by knockout, ground game okay, fancies himself more of a striker, Prayer catches him, it's over. So yeah, Prayer by knockout, minus 110. Furthermore, fight doesn't go the distance, minus 225. I wouldn't be surprised if the UFC continuously books him against, you know, guys like this just to build him up. You know, again, like you said, Israel Adesanya doesn't really have much competition left in that middleweight division, but there is a built-in storyline here that he can go out there and and try to reclaim or, or seek some revenge after that knockout loss to Pereira. All right, that brings us to our main card, and I always like to take this opportunity to remind the 230 live viewers we currently have in the uh, in the chat Make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, show your boys some love here, and also go over there and uh, give Cody's YouTube some, channel some love as well. The link to his YouTube channel is in the description below. I believe it's CJ's MMA. Make sure you guys go out there, subscribe to that. But then again, you guys are already on that Cody Safdick train. I'm sure you guys already subscribed. But if you haven't already, make sure you guys do so. But again, please do hit that like and subscribe as well. Shout out to the big, big numbers that we're doing today for this big, big UFC 268 card. All right, Cody. Next up, we got the uh, main card opener and a lot of people are caught off guard by this with Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler going out there and, and kicking off the main card. A lot of people thought it was going to be the, the the third last fight, you know, right before the title fights, but it makes absolute sense. You got Trevor Whitman uh, coaching three guys in this fight or, or three guys on the main card or three fighters, I should say on the main card in big, big spots. You got Justin Gaethje, obviously here you got Rose Nama Yunus in the Coleman event, and then you got Kamar Usman in the main event. Uh, so yeah, let's give this guy a little bit of a break so he can make sure that his champions are ready to go. But this fight with Justin Gaethje, uh, who's coming in at minus 220, the return on uh, Michael Chandler is currently around plus 180. I believe the money line is a little bit too wide and people are just writing off Michael Chandler you know, just because he got finished in his last fight against Charles Oliveira. But the, the play here has got to be the fight doesn't go to decision, right? Chalk me up, brother. Minus 300, I'm okay with that. I did already parlay that with something later uh, or earlier in this card. Uh, but yeah, you got to believe it's going to be violence, whether it's going to be Michael Chandler blasting his head, uh, blasting Gaethje's head into orbit, or Gaethje just doing what Gaethje does. Stalk his opponent, wait till they break, and then get them out of there. And I think he should be able to do that against a guy like Michael Chandler here. I do lean the Gaethje side, though. I do think we'll see his defensive wrestling pay off for him here, as Chandler will more than likely shoot at least two or three takedowns here. And once he's unsuccessful in gaining that top position, I think it's going to be all downhill from him there. And he's just going to have to... He's pretty much just going to have to rely on that blitzing, winging, wild hooks that he likes to do, as most wrestlers do. And you got to believe that Trevor Whitman will have Justin Gaethje more than ready to, to you know, evade those shots, pivot off of those shots, and then get his own offense going off of that. So I like Gaethje, Gaethje TKO, uh, currently around even money right now. But the uh, under one and a half, intriguing at plus 100. I can see this one creeping over that one and a half mark, uh, depending on how it goes, especially if it's Gaethje just waiting to break Chandler. It might take more than seven and a half minutes. The alternate total up under two and a half, minus 190, great spot. Fight doesn't go to decision. You know, pay for an extra two and a half minutes uh, is minus 270, is minus 250. Violence, Cody. Violence is what I'm expecting here. How about yourself? Yeah, complete utter violence. I'm shocked that they moved this thing to the main card opener just because I think it easily fits in. It could fit in anywhere in the card. It could headline its own card if you want. People definitely love this fight. It's going to bring a lot of excitement. But yeah, I got to go with Justin Gaethje as well. I think that at some point this thing, if it gets out of the first round, I think Gaethje takes over. I think that Michael Chandler is one of the most talented guys in the game. I just think he suffers for durability issues. And Justin Gaethje, meanwhile, extremely talented fighter of his own right, but you know he, he's got durability. He's got the ability to fight through. He's got a, a cast iron chin. 
again, when you just look at losses, I guess, but with Michael Chandler, he started awesome against Charles Oliveira. He got caught, knocked down the second. Patricio Pipple uh, uh, fight in Bellator. Pipple's a bantamweight who campaigns at 145 pounds, happens to go up to 155 because he's pissed off he beat his brother, knocks him out in a minute. So Chin's not exactly great from him. The second Brett Primus fight, his leg took a lot of leg kicks and his legs started to shut down. The first Brett Primus fight, he got TKO'd in the first when it was an ankle injury, but his calf seized up. That calf injury is not, that's the second time you've seen it. The first time you've seen it was uh, the Benson Henderson fight where his calf also seized up. So Justin Gaethje loves to attack the low leg kick, and that's going to be up for him all night long. <clears throat> as far as the fight gets beyond those rounds, I mean, you've seen Michael Chandler knocked out four or five times. You've seen him slow down. You've seen him get caught. With Gaethje, meanwhile, when he loses, it's a pure dog fight to the death, not just a one-rounder. you got to take this guy to deep waters. Eddie Alvarez versus Justin Gaethje ended up winning fight of the year. It was an excellent battle, back and forth. It, it took every ounce of being in Eddie Alvarez to pull off the victory. And he does in a third round TKO. Crazy. Chandler wouldn't have gone those hard three. In the Dustin Poirier case, it's the same thing. It's a fight of the year candidate. It's tit for tat back and forth. Crazy insurmountable amount of damage done both sides. Damage that Chandler wouldn't have taken to get that fourth round KO over Justin Gaethje. He's a fast starter. If you want to bet Michael Chandler, he's live. Sure, he's Chandler. He's got huge power. I think he's live in the first round. I think you bet Michael Chandler first round. You bet him by KO early. If he doesn't secure a first round KO, Justin Gaethje is going to start leaning on him. As much as I'd like to go all in on Justin Gaethje, and I likely still will end up going all in on Justin Gaethje, the one thing while I will admit is that the Khabib Nurmagomedov fight, he was so worried about the takedown, he actually got outstruck by Khabib Nurmagomedov. He did land a couple leg kicks, sure, and we expect him to do that again here, but he was getting boxed up by Khabib, who's not really known for his technical striking. But it was a threat of the takedown that had him worried. Chandler's obviously no Khabib Nurmagomedov, but if this guy with his hands low is anticipating this shot, it's going to be a different kind of shot that comes over the top right to the lips that could be dangerous and put him out. So Gaethje's got a minus P's and Q's in that first round. Play it as safe as he can. Work that leg kick when you can. And then second and the third round, I feel like the opening's going to become available at some point for Justin Gaethje to go out and get that KO over Chandler. This thing ain't going the distance. I think uh, we're all aware of that. But the line on fight doesn't go the distance. wasn't particularly good. So you just got to put your hat on one of these two guys. I'm going with Justin Gaethje. He's going to get it done by KO. So we're going to go with that minus 110. Love it. I love it. And that is not where the violence stops, folks. Because next up, we got Shane Burgos against Billy Q, Billy Quarantillo. In terms of odds, we got minus 190 on Shane Burgos, plus 165 the return on Billy Quarantillo, man. This this is a great freaking fight. I can't wait uh, to see this one go down. And they may have the lowest amount of name value on the main card, but I promise you that these guys will be known once this card ends up uh, or wraps up because these guys are all action pretty much all the time, especially Billy Q, who likes to use that kind of forward pressure to break his opponents and eventually finish them late as he has done at the beginning of his ufc career and even on the regional scene charlotte Turner guy adrian Velaco, who had to go up against this guy i believe yeah. uh and came up short against him as well uh but uh in this fight against shane burgos man i think he's going to be outgunned on the feet now i was waiting for the proper opportunity to go out there and fade billy q because i felt like a guy who's technically better than him and can go the full three rounds will be able to beat him and i got that uh with gavin tucker was able to cash that plus 165 ticket unfortunately for billy q he has he finds himself in a similar circumstance here with probably even a better striker in shane burgos who should be able to put together some solid combinations and really hurt billy q billy is quite durable though right he he did get knocked out once by michelle quinones if i'm not uh, mistaken uh, uh on the regional scene before coming to the ufc but since then has shown a pretty damn good shin shane burgos 
uh, decent power, but it seems more like he he likes to rely on on the output and landing good combinations to get his wins rather than trying to find that knockout blow. Uh, I think we'll see Burgos stuff a couple of takedowns here, which are inevitably going to be coming from the Quarantillo side, as I do believe he's the better jiu-jitsu player here. But Burgos has some decent get-ups and the ability to really push opponents. And uh, I think he'll be able to do that here against Billy Q. Uh, I was, uh, again, uh, just like the Dustin Jacoby fight, a little bit curious in terms of how I would pick the method of victory here. I ended up siding with plus 200 decision for Shane Burgos, as I think he's going to be able to, uh, you know, just touch up Billy Q and Billy Q probably won't go away at all. Um, yeah, I, I like Burgos. I like him to, uh, to, to outstrike Billy Q here, shut down the takedowns, and then win this fight via decision plus 200. But man, I feel like this is just going to be all action, all offense the entire time. And that fight goes to decision or that decision prop is going to be a sweat and a half. But I still like Burgos here to win a decision. How do you like this one? Yeah, dude, 100%. I'm in the exact same ingredients. I think the fight goes the distance. I think that's the way to attack it. When you look at Burgos, uh, see, I'd, I'd like to say he might have a tight, like a tad bit of a chin issue, but Edson Barbosa knocks you out. I'm going to give you a pass on that one. Calvin Cater knocks you out. I'm going to give you a pass on that one. Josh Emmett rocked you, but actually didn't knock you out. Shit, man. Well, where's the bad chin? He's fights some elite level guys. And maybe the knock on why he himself will never jump into that top five or be a realistic top 10 threat is because yeah, eventually the higher up the ladder you go, all these guys got punchy power. They'll be able to catch you eventually. But Burgos himself, I, I don't really know how much power he's got. He goes out there and lands routinely hundred significant strikes they're able to take it. So for Billy, Billy's durable. Billy's got an excellent world-class gas tank. He's got a good chin. So I think he'll be able to take Burgos' shots. Flip side to that, he doesn't really hit all that hard himself. So I don't think he's going to catch Burgos. I think, like you said, it'll be back and forth. It'll be a, a highly paced fight. Both guys are going to have their opportunities. But what it comes down to is Billy's got a slight grappling advantage. Burgos has got the striking advantage. So it's up for Billy Q to go out there and get the takedown. But his wrestling is just not quite good enough. Uh, I know that Burgos' takedown defense is not exactly spectacular, but he's strong in the clinch. And look at the Makwan Amir Khani fight, for example. You know, you take him down, you grind him. The guy will work his way back up. Once he works his way back up, he starts to make adjustments. If you start to tire a little bit, he'll uh, figure it out. The difference between Makwan Amir Khani, who's a one-round fighter, and Billy Q is Bill Billy will bring the pressure for all three rounds. So it's imperative that Burgos wins the first two, and that way, if for whatever reason, he takes his foot off the gas, or Billy's able to find a little bit, a little bit of success in the third, it would still be able to be a decision victory. I agree, though. I think the fight goes the distance. Minus 125 covers you both sides. If you're going to pick one guy to win said decision, I got Burgos. And at plus 175 for decision, really not that bad of a price tag. Yeah, one thing I also did want to mention about Burgos is his hitability, man. Like, people are, are able to hit him over and over again. His yeah. striking defense seems to be lacking at times. So that's a little bit of a concern for me. Uh, that Josh Emmett fight is just as much information as you need, right? Uh Josh, I mean, not really swaying too much from his wrestling style of striking, which is long or uh, wide winging hooks and just crashing forward. He was hitting fucking every time he landed on Burgos. He was, he was hitting him every single fucking time, and Burgos did not go down. Uh, probably could have stopped that fight at any point, but again, uh, Burgos holding true there. I just don't see Quarantillo having that same amount of power to be able to pull out Burgos either, which is why I agree that this fight goes. 15 minutes all right let's move on to the next fight here we got three fights left and i'm very much looking forward to this one we got frankie edgar taking on marlon chito vera in terms of odds we're looking at minus 170 for vera and plus 150 the return on frankie edgar and i feel like this is one of those fights that if frankie edgar's chin holds up 
He's probably going to look like a minus 300, minus 400 in this spot, as I believe we could see classic Frankie in the spot. I've never really been that big on Marlon myself. You know, he is a good striker, a decent volume, all that. But there are times where, you know, guys can, you know, if they're able to withstand the pressure that Chito Vera puts on them, they do pretty well against him. And I feel like Edgar, who has shown in the past, right, there's times where his chin is just completely gone. And then there's days where he can take shots, said like the uh, the uh, Pedro Munoz fight a couple fights ago where he went the full 25 minutes, right? Everybody was so certain that Munoz was going to go out there and starch Frankie Edgar, yet he takes all those shots, keeps chugging forward, and goes on to win that fight. Say what you want about the scorecards. He still did a good or made a good enough account of himself to go out there and win that decision. Here against Marlon Vera, I feel like he can go out there and land takedowns Maybe not at will, but at least enough that should be able to sway the judges judges in his favor. And I really feel that Frank Yeager via decision roughly around plus 245, I think that's a damn good spot. I do want to shout out my guy Anaconda Betts, who brought to my attention the decision-only prop, meaning if this fight ends inside the distance, it's a push. The decision-only prop on Frank Yedger was plus 110, which I think is a great line, especially I believe he's going to be the better better minute winner here, land the better strikes, more output, more activity, and land some takedowns. I think he should be able to take this one home. Vera, to me, not really a one-hitter-quitter kind of guy, right? He doesn't go out there and just starch dudes. It's an accumulation of damage that he's able to get guys out of there, just like the Andre Ewell fight. Uh, the Sean O'Malley fight, we can say what we want about that. We know the circumstances surrounding that fight. But here against Frank Edgar, I think he's going to have trouble finding that target. And even if he does, I'm not sure if he has enough power to put Frank Edgar down. Say what you want about Frank Edgar being 40 fucking years old. <laughs> but Chito Vera, uh, you know, again, th this is not the type of guy that I see Frank Edgar losing to, even if he's 40 years old. Just look at the resume of guys that Frankie's lost to, right? Fucking Brian Ortega, Max Holloway. He went 25 minutes with Max Holloway. Uh, Chan Sung Young, who has crazy power himself. And then obviously the last time out against Corey Sandig and just getting lulled into that flying knee. Not a good look. But is Marlon Vera going to do that? I, I just don't see it happening. So I like the, the decision prop on Edgar, like I said, which is currently now sitting at plus uh, 230. If you have access to one of those books that allows those decision-only props or like anything inside the distance is voided, I would highly suggest taking a poke on Edgar here because I'd be surprised if Vera wins 15 minutes of this fight or even 10 minutes of this fight to take home a decision victory. Uh, but yeah, I think this might be one of the few times we see Frankie Edgar still get his hand raised at this point in his career. I'm going Frankie, decision. How are you seeing this one, brother? You know what? We just saw Fedor Emelianenko win, 45 years old. <laughs> we just saw Glover Teixeira win, 43 years old. The difference is Frankie's a bantamweight. There ain't no 40-year-old bantamweights, man. No. I mean, these divisions are speed kills. So it's pretty miraculous that Frankie at this age is still competing. And the guy won a world title at 155 pounds. He challenged for a world title at 145 pounds. And he's kind of half irrelevant at 135. Maybe that's the age. Maybe it's that the game caught up to him. I I'm not sure. But you're right. Listen, if he could mix in the wrestling, he could have a lot of success against Marlon Chito Vera. I say that because Marlon's got two things that go against him. One, notoriously a very, very, very slow starter. He routinely gives up the first round in almost all of his fights. His last time out against Davey Grant. Why are you losing a first round of Davey Grant? I get it was a rematch, <laughs> and he had lost the first round in the first fight with Davey Grant as well. When you look at a lot of the fights, in fact, lose the first round to Jose Aldo. He lost the first round to Song Yudong. He's actually losing the first round to Sean O'Malley, but that, that's a different story for a different day. He lost the first round to Guido Canetti. He lost the first round to Wuji Buren. He lost the first round to Brian Kelleher. He lost, sorry, uh, to Brad Pickett. He lost the first round to Gwang um, Yang Ning. He loses his first rounds. The thing is, is that he is a slow starter. He's got great, great cardio, great ability to work his way back in the fight. And he, he's often, more times than not, won those fights. 
coming back, winning the second, winning the third, working his way back into it. But to give up a round in a lot of spots is dangerous because now you have to rely on either finishing his opponent or winning the second and third. I think you're going to get a live, much better live betting opportunity here on Cheeto Vera after he likely either loses the first round of Frankie Edgar or has a very competitive first round against Frankie Edgar. But the longer this fight goes, like Frankie, Frankie can secure the takedown, but he's not outside of what the year Rodriguez fight. Like when was the last time he just held a guy down and ground and pounded him? Some point Vera is going to get back up and they're going to strike. Frankie pulls up short on a lot of his punches. Vera's got a nasty kick game. I think he's going to use it to keep him at range, kick the lead leg out, try to slow this guy down, and then chip away at him. The thing that's got me cautious and nervous is the Aldo fight. First round, Aldo styles on Cheeto, which is not uncommon. Second round, oh man, Vera is working his way back into this huge. Third round, it's a gut check. And Jose Aldo, known to be one of the greatest strikers to ever walk the planet, shoots the takedown, right? Ends up in back control, throws in a body triangle, pulls down Cheeto for the rest of the round. It's a 2-1. Thinking that, it makes you think, oh shit, you know what? Marlon Vera fought Davy Grant, who's not a wrestler. Jose Aldo, not a wrestler. Sean O'Malley, not a wrestler. Song Adong, not a wrestler. Andre Ewell, Noeline Hernandez. Frankie Science was a wrestler, right? Guido Canetti, Wuji Buren, Douglas D'Andrage, John Lineker, Brian Gallagher, Brad Pickett. He's fought very few guys that go in there and secure takedowns, or at least pursue takedowns in the course of a fight. He gets a lot of these middling level strikers that he can get out there and have a, a good fight with. I thought he looked very bad against Davy Grant his last time out. He's right to get exposed. I just, I, I do find it difficult to pull the trigger on the 40-year-old Frank Yeager to get the job done. What I did go with was the fight goes the distance. The line I got it for was <laughs> minus 150, sure. But yeah, Vera, I don't know that he knocks out Frankie. You made mention Frankie has been knocked out by the best guys in the game. You know, Brian Ortega is a title challenger. Korean Zombie is a title challenger. And of course, Corey Sanhagen, who is a title challenger. They're, they're truly dynamic, big, explosive guys that have been known to knock out opponents. Fair enough. Frankie got caught by them. Vera could knock him out. Of course, it's MMA. It's the punch. It's the punchy kicky game. Anything can happen. But I would say that more often than not, I think that he does like a lot of his other fights. He goes through the motions, kicks the leg, keeps you at range, tries to secure in more favorable positions for more often than not to get a decision. But I, I don't know that Cheeto Vera is one of my locks this week. Like, I got a lot of respect for Frankie. I just don't have the cojones to outright pull the trigger on him. So I got to go with Vera, Vera by decision. The best prop on this one, though, is the fight to go to the decision in case Frankie does change the narrative. He's not finishing Vera even in a victory. So minus 150, fight goes the distance. I like it. I like it. All right. Let's move on to the Coleman event here. The first of two title fights on this big UFC 268 card. We have uh, actually both of them being rematched as well, which is hilarious as well. We got Wiley Zhang trying to recapture her title against Rose Namajunas. And uh, intriguing enough, the first fight, they were lined at minus 200 Wiley Zhang and then plus 170 on Rose Namajunas. This time around, it was pretty much even money throughout the week. Now I'm seeing a little bit of money come in on Zhang putting her up to minus 120 plus 100 the return on rose very close fight here um but it's very tough to extract too much from that first fight right it only went 78 seconds like it didn't go that long like if you're comfortable in betting while you saying at minus 200 the first time around you should feel comfortable betting her at minus 120 here because we didn't get too much answer that first time yes rose is a tricky striker but you got to believe that that was already baked into that minus 200 line for uh for while you saying the first time and people still believe that she'd be able to go out there and put the pressure on rose and really start to break her, break her later in this fight but an interesting trend that i was able to find 
find uh, for Rose here is the last couple fights that she's had, uh, they're all rematches, right? She went to Yuani and Jacek, now started in the first round, then goes a full 25 minutes in the rematch. Jessica Andrade gets crashed on her head and loses that fight and then comes back in the rematch and wins a decision, albeit 15 minutes this time. This one could go the full 25 minutes to over four and a half sitting around minus 120, minus 125. Peaks my interest ever so slightly. But man, like both of these women have sneaky power that they could catch either of these women at, at any time. And Rose has already showed that the first time. And Wiley, you know, she took a hellacious beating against Yuani and Jacek and still kept coming forward, still got a hand raised. And we could see that this weekend as well. Personally, I, I want to sit back as a fan and watch this and, and just take it in as is. But the the lines that I am kind of leaning to the most has got to be Wiley by decision, which is currently sitting at plus 250. Now, hear me out. Obviously, she's training down there at fight ready. She's trying to change up her game a little bit, maybe make it a little bit more difficult for her opponents to kind of read what she's going to be doing. It seems like she's been training alongside Henry Suhudo this entire time. Maybe some wrestling, right? Like looking into Rose Namajunas' record, she faced some pretty heavy wrestling in her first fight against Carla Esparza, where she ended up losing via third round submission in that fight. And then the seven fights after that, I think that there was only four total takedowns shot on her, and only one of them was successful. And then the Rose, or sorry, the Jessica Andrade fight, the first one, <laughs> two of four on Ooh. takedowns. But that second one was all the all that she needed to get the finish there. The the second fight. She goes one of three on takedowns against Rose, that last one coming in the last round, and that was the round that a lot of people agreed that Jessica Andrade won, right? So I wouldn't be surprised to see Wiley go out there and try to hide some takedowns beside, behind some combinations and try to get some top time here against Rose. But that's not an easy task, right? Rose is very crafty off of her back, and she has some pretty damn good jiu-jitsu, so I'm hoping that Zhang has been working on her submission defense and is able to kind of see whatever Rose might be throwing at her and kind of get some control time there. The, there are so many possibilities of how this fight plays out, which is why I'm not really banking too heavily on one outcome. But the one, you obviously, you guys are coming to us for predictions and seeing how we think the fight is going to go down. I think we see it as a close fight. Could be 3-2 either way. Could be 4-1 either way. But I, what I think will come to fruition is Wiley Zhang uh, having competitive striking moments with Rose, but I think the takedowns could be the definitive uh, reason as to why she might be swayed in a certain round or not. So I would be, uh, I, I'm very interested to see if she's going to go out there and take a, a little bit more of a grapple heavy approach, not like trying to turn into Khabib and try to smash her on the ground or anything like that, but just try to score some points, get some different looks out there to keep Rose Nama Yunus thinking. So I like Wally Zhang here, Wally by decision, the over two and a half, or sorry, over four and a half, uh, as well at minus 125. Those kind of pique my interest, but not to the point where I'm willing to part ways with my money in this fight. It should be a banger. I can't wait to see it play out. Hopefully, it goes longer than 78 seconds so we can get some more questions answered. But I do end up on the Wiley Zhang side here. How are you feeling about this one, brother? First and foremost, I got to give a shout out to Mixed Partial Farts for bringing up Pat Barry groomed here because you can't break down <laughs> Rose Nalmunas' fight without mentioning that. Now that we got it out of the way, we can go down to business. This is going to be a little bit of disagreement between us on this one. I, I kind of got it going the opposite. I don't think it goes okay. 25 minutes, and I think Rose Namajunas would be the pick. Um, keep, keep in consideration that you have someone that just knocked out the champion, needed five significant strikes to get the job done. Five significant strikes, she knocks her out, and now she's the underdog coming in. How often do you get a defending champion as an underdog? How often do you get someone who just knocked out somebody in less than a minute and a half as an underdog? doesn't really make sense, does it? But it does in Rose's case. Rose went out and knocked out Joanny and Jacek. Only needed 15 shots for that one. She's a plus 500 underdog. They rebooked the rematch, and she's still a slight underdog. 
Well, why is that? She just knocked out Joanny and Jacek. But people think it's a fluke. People think, oh, well, it was just a lucky punch. How would this thing go if it got extended? And you are right. The second fight ended up going 25 minutes. But Rose wins the first two rounds. Looks flawless. Joanna wins the third and fourth. Looks unbelievable. She's putting an absolute outrageous pace on. This is going Joanna's. It's going her way. Fifth round is in it to win it. Whoever wins this fifth round is going to win the round or win the fight. And uh, Rose Namajunas steps up, man. She showed right there that she's got the heart of a champion. It was a gut check fifth round. You just lost three and four. How are you going to make the adjustments? But she does. I think she does have the heart of a champion. As much as I have questioned her mentality, and she's got a, a you know, a, a self-helping dog with her. You know, she, she pulls out of a fight because of a dolly goes through a window. She's talked a lot in the past about mental health issues and this and that. Like, I can't question her heart. Maybe mentally something's going on, but she's got the heart of a champion. So that takes you to the Jessica Andrade fight, right? There's another back-to-back -back rematch. She fought Joanna twice, then she fought Andrade twice, and now she's fighting Wei Li twice. She's fighting the same of opponents, but she's getting ready specifically for that opponent. She won the Joanna rematch. She won the Jessica Andrade rematch. I believe she's going to win the Wei Li Zhang rematch. She's a lot sharper in that Wei Li Zhang likes to come out and just have big, heavy shots. You know, she's a little bit open. She's a little bit wide. She'll kind of throw... Not, it's not sloppy. It's just everything's not tight and precise. And I think that's where Rose is going to have her best success is she beats her to the punch. Beyond that, when you look at... If you just want to look at the numbers, let's say, um, Wei, Zhang Wei Lei in her fight with Joanna and Jacek, she gets outstruck 186 to 165. Both of them take a crazy amount of damage. Rose wouldn't take the damage that Joanna took. She wouldn't. You think she'd let her head egg out like that? You think she'd take all those punches? No. If Whaley comes out and puts on a miraculous performance, this thing ain't going 25. If Rose comes out and does what she's capable of, again, I don't think it's going 25. Now with Zhang, it's like, oh, she spent time with Henry Cejudo and Davidson and Figueredo's in camp as well. Like, I don't know that any of that really matters. Like, what does that really matter? Henry's going to suddenly revamp them, or does it, is it a direct correlation with her being in that fight-ready camp that she's going to come out in here and wrestle? Because if she comes out and wrestle, well, she's never, she's never scored more than two takedowns in any of her UFC fights. She's not really a wrestler. She's a striker. She's one of the best strikers. She's an absolute badass. She marches her opponent down. Is she going to completely change her game, or is she going to be the same fighter that we've grown to love at this point? I don't know. The other thing is you talk about Rose Namajunas maybe having the head troubles and you know mentally not being the strongest. All she had to do was call Wiley Zhang a commie, and right away Zhang's <laughs> just entire fucking world just crumbled. Like she couldn't handle it. Like even months after she lost, she was like, "That wasn't cool." <laughs> it was like, "Were you still thinking about it?" Like who cares? It's trash talk. But it really did bug her and get in her head. And I don't know if that caused her to be over aggressive or if she thought she'd walk right by Rose Namajunas, but. Rose did a phenomenal job. Trevor Whitman, a longtime coach of hers, just got her fighting very technically sound. As far as her takedown defense goes, it's largely improved. It's not great, but her grappling is fantastic. So the fight does hit the ground. I think she's good enough to stay out of trouble, fish for some Kimuras, fish for some armbars, but basically fish for stuff to just create space, eventually explode back up. And when it is back up, she might not have the volume on Zhang, but I think that she's already proven that she can knock her out, and I, uh, I hope she goes that route again. Chin check her with something, get her attention. So in terms of the... I only put down one prop, actually. I didn't even take the rose by knockout. I just went with the fight doesn't go the distance at minus 120. I think that's the way it goes. Uh, 25 minutes is a long time when it's striker versus striker. And again, as much as Zhang Wiley went 25 minutes with Joanny and Jacek in, what I truly do believe was the fight of the year, 
that was a absolute war. She took all the best shots from the best striker that's ever fought in this weight class, 115 pounds, Joanna Jacek. She took five from Rose Namajunas and toppled over unconscious. So you know what? I mean, I, I just got a feeling that Rose is going to find the button at some point. And if Rose doesn't pull through and Whaley breaks her, she will break her. She's not going to beat her up for 25 minutes. She's going to cause her to fold at some point. So the official pick is going to be Rose. Likely Rose inside the distance, but the only prop I'm interested in this fight is the fight doesn't go the distance at minus 120. I like it, man. Again, I, just at the beginning of my breakdown, I'm like, I can see this fight going so many different ways. And yeah. just, the, just the, 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 the difference between both of our breakdowns, I could see either of them happening, whether it's a Wiley decision or even a, a Rose finish or even a, a Wiley finish, right? It can all absolutely happen. So that's why I can't wait to, to, to see this fight actually go down. Um, I do quickly want to say I did have Eddie Shaw on the podcast a couple weeks ago, and this was right before Wiley actually came over there to fight Reddy. And he had said, we're only getting about seven weeks with her. So that's not really like we, we can't really overhaul her game or anything like that. We got to take what we have and try to, you know, morph it into a better game plan compared to, you know, what she had uh, last time around against uh, against Rose Namajunas. So I'm intrigued to see if there is any type of fight ready fingerprints that are going to be all over her game plan here or if they go back to, to classic Wiley and if that'll be enough to actually go out there and beat a girl like Rose Namajunas. Cody, we got the main event coming up. But before we get into it, I do always want to remind the crowd, we got about 240 live viewers in here. Make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, and then obviously go over there and show my guy Cody some love as well. We have his YouTube channel linked in the description below. It is CJ's MMA, and he's always giving you guys some solid breakdowns, whether it's the Bellator, Dana White Contenders, which just popped off or just finished off. Cody's got some damn good content over there, so make sure you guys go give him some love as well. Cody, main event time. Kobe Covington, Kamaru Usman, number two. We got minus 290 on Kamaru Usman, plus 245 on Kobe Covington. And the last time they were actually scheduled or the last time they competed at UFC 245 in December of 2019, we had minus 190 Kamaru Usman, plus 165 Kobe Covington, man. That fight was insane. That fight was probably one of the best welterweight fights we ever had. And funny enough, both guys who rely on takedowns and control time didn't even shoot one takedown against each other in that fight. And they just wanted to go out there and throw down. And that's exactly what, what they did. That fight was as close as you could call it, right? In terms of we had a three, one judge had a 3-1 Kobe going into round five. One judge had a 3-1 Usman going into round five. And one judge had a 2-2 going into round five. And then Usman obviously prevails with landing the big shots and stopping that fight in the fifth round. I think this line is just out of whack. Minus 290 is a little bit too much here for a guy in Kumar Usman. And that just shows you the amount of recency bias on this line, considering he's been a little bit more active than Kobe Covington, right? He's had three fights since that fight. Uh, one, obviously, against uh, Jorge Masvidal, where he went to a pretty boring decision. Next fight, he goes out there and finishes Gilbert Burns in the second round. And then the fight after that, he goes out there and finishes Jorge Masvidal. First time Jorge Masvidal had ever been knocked out in his UFC career. Kamaru, uh, you know, who was used to be accused of having pillow fists is now going out there and knocking dudes out. And that just shows the improvements that this guy makes on a fight to fight basis, especially what Trevor Whitman is able to bring out of this guy since moving over there to Colorado. I love what I'm seeing from Kamaru Usman. However, we be negligent here to not assume that Kobe Covington is making improvements as well, albeit we don't see it in live action, right? We've only seen him go up there against Tyron Woodley and then finish him in that fifth round or injury, whatever the hell it was. But that's the only time that we've seen Kobe Covington since the Kamar Usman fight. And I've just been seeing so many takes this week that like, 
they're, they're just completely discrediting the potential improvements that Kobe could be making as well. This fight is much closer than the minus 290 indicates. Absolutely. I think these two guys are the most complete fighters in the UFC, regardless of weight class. Great cardio, great output, great wrestling. They they just push a pace that fighters are not able to keep up with. And I think that uh, that just separates them from the rest of the pack. They can fight each other, you know, time and time again, keep rematching each other. And I'm sure we could get maybe uh, six wins for Usman, maybe four wins for, for Kobe Covington, something like that. Uh, but at the end of the day, I still do end up on the Kamaru Usman side of things. Uh, it, it really hurts me to say this, but he may go down as the best welterweight of all time. And that's not a shot at George St. Pierre at all. Cause George obviously did his thing, fellow Canadian. So it's really hard for me to actually say that. But again, this Kamaru Usman, man, he is trouble never gave up a takedown in his ufc career always improving complete game cardio on point pace on point striking on point wrestling on point and kobe compton's right there he's a carbon copy of kamar usman in my opinion but usman just has that little extra knockout power that i think that could be the difference maker in this fight i'm going kamar usman late finish once again probably round four uh in terms of odds on that prop uh, we're currently looking at, well, Kamaru Usman by TKO is currently sitting at plus 157. Uh, Usman in rounds four and five. Uh, where where do we have it? Uh, Usman round four plus 1625. Usman round five plus 2425. I'm on Usman. I think it's going to be a long time until we see him defeated. Uh, and I think he gets his hand raised once again here. How are you feeling about this matchup, brother? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go with Kamaru Usman, but this will be like last weekend when, when Glover pulled it out, and I was pretty happy about it. Colby was to pull it out. This is good for business. I know people for hate sure. him, but this is what the division needs, a shakeup. Usman, they asked Usman at the press, so they're like, oh, what about uh, what are your thoughts on Kamzat uh, Chimaev? And he's just like, yeah, well, I'll never fight him. I'm thinking about retiring. It's like, what? Right, Colby would have been like, Russia, bring it on. And it's yeah. like, yeah, hell yeah. It's a spice up. Listen, Usman is the... I'm going to agree with you. We're Canadian. We love ourselves in George Champier. I, I truthfully believe that prime Usman, take him this year, take him last year, whatever you believe the prime version of him is, beats uh, prime GSP. In the same breath, I believe prime Colby Covington also beats prime GSP. I think Colby Covington, I picked him last time over Usman. He, he's established himself as the second best welterweight I've ever seen. What does he do wrong? Cardio, four days. Chin, four days. Heart, four days. Striking, a little bit sloppy. You know, he got outstruck by Damian Maya, and uh, in theory, he got knocked out by Kamaru Usman the, the, the last time they fought. Broken jaw, fights through it. Early stopped as far as I'm concerned. 2-2 two, two going into the fifth, leaves it all on the line. Even if his striking is not precise, he just overwhelms you. If Johnny Hendricks was able to do that to George St. Pierre, Colby Cummington would fuck him up. That's my truthful <laughs> opinion on the matter. And I believe that Kamaru Usman would likely fuck George St. Pierre up as well. So in terms of high-level fights, you've got the best welterweight versus the second-best welterweight. This is this is great times. Why the UFC waited two years to rebook this matchup, I, I don't know. Who does that favor, though? Well, see, that's an interesting question. So when they both fought the last time, Usman seemed pretty fresh as a daisy. Called the EPO, Colby Covington does. In the fifth round, he looked as good as he did in the first round. Pretty, pretty crazy. Colby's the one that took the damage. What's interesting to me is what they've done since then. Colby only fought one time. He routed Tyron Woodley and didn't get hit. Whereas Usman has looked good. He got rocked in the first fight against George Mazadal, who took the fight effectively on like three days' notice. He got rocked by Gilbert Burns, who's a longtime training partner of his, who is a natural 155-pound fighter and is probably ranked number eighth in the division. And then he absolutely killed George Mazadal in that, in that uh, rematch. What I'm saying is that it doesn't look like he's 
the most durable guy. He is what, 35 years old now. He's had 34 years old. He's had 20 professional fights. I'm not saying he's getting old. I'm not saying he's getting long, long in the tooth. It's that every great champion eventually has to fall. And why that is, is just a career worth of combat sports is going gonna, is gonna to grind to you. When you look at college wrestling, you know, Usman wrestled at a lower level than Colby Covington. But Usman's gone on record to be like, I don't got any knees anymore. Like, I can't run yeah. road, right? His ACLs are apparently gone. That's all interesting to me. It's all interesting to me because if someone's going to push you hard in a 25-minute long fight, and maybe Colby does go for the takedowns, maybe he doesn't, it's just that continuous grind. I feel like someone's going to be able to break him. And the only one man I know at 170 pounds on this planet, unless Chamayev turns out to actually be the truth, is Colby. Colby could potentially do that. But I, I think EPO is really the game changer. I've never seen Colby come. Re, a reason I was so high on him, my friend, I never seen this guy gas. I never even seen him close to gassing. He just runs right through people. He can do 25 minutes all day long. When he fought Kamaru Usman, I thought he started off excellent, right? Won the first round, probably won the first two. Third round, he most definitely loses. Fourth round's pretty close. Listen, it's a close fight, right? It's a 2-2 fight going into the fifth. It's close. They both have their moments. But you see Covington start to slow down. You see Covington start to fatigue. And Usman never breaks a sweat. And I think that's why Colby goes on the CEO of EPO and the guy's a cheat. I don't respect him. He's a cheater. It's because he's dumbfounded. How could somebody have that much better cardio than me? And I think this one goes the same way. I think it's going to be a tit-for-tat, absolute battle. I got it going to decision personally. I got Usman by decision at plus 165, but more or less, I just think the fight, maybe not. It's going to be a bloodbath. It's going to be a crazy good fight. I can see Colby chin-checking him late. I can see Usman chin-checking him late. But these guys are both historically very, very durable. The last time they fought, it's 50 seconds away from going the distance. And by the way, I thought it was an early stoppage. So should have gone the distance as far as I'm concerned. And this time, I think the same thing. They're going to test each other's wills. I am cheering for Colby Covington. Unfortunately, my wallet's going to have to be invested in Kamaru Usman. Yeah, I think the only way I have action on this fight is if like Colby gets to a ridiculous plus money number, like maybe plus 300, plus 350, something like that. Otherwise, I think it's going to be a close fight. I'm not willing to pay the juice on Usman, even though I think he's the greatest welterweight of all time now. Fuck, man. It, it should be a great fight. It should be an absolutely phenomenal fight. I can't wait for it to go down. All right. That's a wrap on the breakdowns, Cody. I, I, I did have a couple of people in the comment section asking me this question. So, again, shout out to the to the chat. I, I got to ask this to you. Are you going to be dropping a Bellator breakdown this week for the, for the fights? Okay. So, fully intended it. Here's the one problem is that the card starts tomorrow at 2 o'clock, right? So, I – and I got to go race the – we have a Dogger Pass podcast horse or a race horse. If you guys have follow along, the DOP horse, Callisto Dreams. She's racing tonight. So, I got to leave here and straight up go straight to the track. I eat dinner, straight to the track, get our baby across the finish line, hopefully in the top five position so we get paid. Meaning, I can't shoot this thing tonight. I could shoot it early in the morning, but I go to the barn until noon. I get home. That's two hours for the prelim start. Is anyone going to be interested? Maybe not. Um, looking at it, just yeah, to give, just give you, us just, the, yeah, the parlay like, pieces or something. What, what do you sure, like here? For, for sure. So Peter Queeley versus Patrick uh, Patrick Freite. Why is it for the lightweight title? I don't know. Here's your key here. These guys fought. They just fought in their last fight. Uh, Patrick comes out first round, looks pretty good like he always does, and unable to put Queeley away. Queeley never been knocked out. Second round, Queeley's still there. They're both tired, but Queeley's the one coming forward. He starts landing a bunch of good punches in the second round, opens up that cut. Now it's a cut stoppage. And that's why they're, oh, it's a bullshit cut stoppage. No, motherfucker, he's changing the tide of the fight. He's winning the fight legitimately. And that's a three-rounder. This is a five-rounder. Patricky's 35 years old. He can't fight five rounds. He needs to get a first or second round knockout. 
good thing for us, Queeley never been knocked out. So this will be a competitive fight for the first round, maybe first two rounds. Queeley takes over. And you can currently get him on a plus 195 price tag. Crazy. Patchy Mix should absolutely run right through Jane Gallagher. He's a much better grappler. He's much more refined. He's a very long guy. His fight with Juan Archuleta was a Bellator title fight. He actually won the first two rounds against Juan Archuleta. And Archuleta made the adjustments. Good, great cardio. This is only a three-round fight. It's a title eliminator. Three-round fight. He'd go out and dominate Gallagher for the first two rounds. One thing is, Mix missed weight today by like a pound and a half. So if he starts to fatigue like he did in, in his last fight, um, I, I don't know. I could just I, I could see it getting a little greasier than you want at a minus 340. But uh, Patchy Mix should be able to walk through him. And he yeah. doesn't have his coaches, by the way. Apparently his coaches were not able to get into the country because of vaccine mandates. So... Who the fuck knows who's in Patchy Mix's corner? Not looking good for him in terms of a narrative perspective. Yeah, and, and like we talked about earlier with James Gallagher, he goes to Glory MMA and Fitness with James Krause, and just by all accounts, he's like, oh my God. He doesn't just love the gym, he loves the city. He loves Kansas. Yeah. He's just like, this is where I should be. Because what he realized is, oh my God, I was in a McDojo before, and this is a real gym. And I think he's going to reap the benefits. The price is off. I just, I, I really like Patchy Mix. Always like Patchy Mix. I got to ride with them, but I do think the price is off. Daniel Veichel should be able to win over Pedro Carvalho. The problem is Veichel's slowing down massively. I bet him all the time. I spam bet this guy. He has been a durable German warrior. He's got 50 pro fights, and he's 37 years old. Like, Drake kind of does look like him. A German version, yeah. anyways. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's no trust there. Um, this Ilias Boulade kid, 205. He's, the, he's given up, like, 35 pounds to his opponent because his opponent's a short-nose replacement, but... She should walk right through. The other guys I did like was Brian Hui. Should be able to beat uh, Daniel Scatizzi, who's like a very mid-level uh, Italian fighter. Uh, Go Cancera Camp. Sorry, he was the one. He has about a 30-pound weight advantage. He moved up to heavyweight. That's kind of about it. I thought there was one other little pick that I liked. What I will do is 100% tweet it out. I just yeah. don't think I got time to do a 14-fight bama breakdown that just happens <laughs> yeah. to have bellator as the as the title key right so yeah. look out for look out for the tweets if you like somebody or if you don't like somebody and you want to tweet me a specific matchup i'll look into it for you for sure yeah. just don't think i have time to physically break down 14 fights on the day before a ufc and watch out for one last thing i'll let you go here bkfc is in new york this week okay there's a fighter by the name of zach johnson is a minus 115 currently against Dave Morgan, okay? I'll do a video for that. Zach Johnson might be the second death in PKFC history. And he's a minus 115. Oh. I know, I know. It's a sad story. I will tell the story tomorrow because I think it needs to be said. And I have a feeling this guy's going to get seriously hurt in there. So I'll do a video for that tomorrow. But if you don't mind betting on against somebody who might likely die, Dave Morgan, minus 115, woof. Could be the play of the year. So we're going to look into that for sure. Uh, just a quick uh, clarification. Uh, is Cody betting mix? Would he be on your like top ticket parlay or are you going to put him further down considering everything that's been going on? Yeah, I'm going to bet him because, I mean, clearly we're, we, we're in the business of doing parlays. We're going to have the yeah. PRPs. We're going to have all this and that. With Bellator, what we had done, I think they went, wasn't the Russian card. They're on a little European tour right now. Where yeah. were they last? It was England. Yeah, it was the MVP show in England, yes. right? Yeah, well, so we end up hitting, everyone's like, oh, you hit a PRP. I only just kept it to eight picks. There was like 14 on the card. It's that six of them you wanted no part of. And yeah. the eight of them that we liked, they were together. Patchy Mix is going to be part of that eight. I'm just saying, if you want to bet fight straight up, three to one's a little bit too much. He missed weight. He doesn't have his corner with him. And let's be real. He's had to leave the confounds of Albuquerque, New Mexico, 
to go to Ireland, like that's not that's going to play against him for sure. There's a there's a number of things that are going to play against him. That three forty is not a great price tag, but great price tag or not, like this is this is the business we're in. We take shots, we parlay guys together, and so yes, Patchy Mix, a guy that I, I watched him play as an amateur. Like I was at one of his amateur shows, very coincidentally, right? And I was like, holy shit, this guy looks good. The whole show is full of terrible fighters. This guy looked good. I followed his entire career. He's an exceptional talent. Uh, and he matches up extremely good against James Gallagher. It's the X factors now. Oh, you got to go to Ireland. Oh, your corner's not there. Oh, you missed weight. Oh, Gallagher's the hometown favorite. And he's actually put in a legitimate camp over at uh, Gory MMA and Fitness with a legitimate coach in James Krause. He'll be properly prepared. All of that throws a little bit of worry into it. But uh, I got to go with mix, yeah. It's hilarious in King of the Cage uh, naming their events, and one of their events with Patchy Mix fighting on it was called In the Mix. So it's <laughs> hilarious. I can just need that as well. But yeah, I love mm-hmm. me some Patchy Mix as well. I think he's tremendously talented. And earlier this year, I actually submitted Tim Elliott in a grappling match in 54 seconds. Guy is an absolute beast. Oh, that that's exactly it, man. I mean, he's been one of these, you know, it's hard to say, oh, this guy's a super prospect. He's a super prospect. But in his case, I think he's been a super prospect. Only now he's 28 years old. But when you look yeah. at his record, man, uh, you know, Andre Ewell's a UFC veteran. He dispatched yep. him in a single round. Tony Gravely's Tony a UFC yeah. veteran. He dispatched him from in a single round. Ricky Bandanese. Ricky Bandanese is the guy that knocked out James Gallagher, right? Ricky Bandanese is a fucking badass. Former CFFC yeah. champion, BJJ Brown Belt, solid. Yeah, he took him out in one single round. Yuki Montoya was the top-ranked Japanese bantamweight for a decade. Took him out in one single round. Fuck, what's there not to like? Yeah, the only time I seen him falter was it was a five-round fight. And he dominated the first two rounds. I I had to change my pants. That's how fucking bad I came. (laughs) I was like, oh, mix. And then when I came out of the room with the new pair of pants on, it was like, Juan Archuleta is a junkyard dog. He made proper adjustments. This is a three-round fight. If Mix comes out for the first two rounds, Gallagher's not putting him away. Last but not least, Gallagher's a grappler himself. He's not McGregor. Yeah, He's not exactly. a KO guy. So what's he going to do? Chin check him? No. He's going to try to out-grapple a guy who's significantly better as a grappler. Got to go with Mix. But again, sure, I, I can always cast doubt in there as well. Perfectly. And shout out to my guy Ben here saying, Colby just told John Morgan to get down and give him 10 push-ups, called him a fat ass. I'm assuming the press conference is going on right now for UFC 268, and I can't wait to tune into that after we wrap this up. So we got one piece of business left, which is our three best prop bets, and then we'll let you guys go here. But first and foremost, as I always do, i like to let you guys know who, gonna be, who is going to be on the Ultimate Wayne Show tomorrow night. And I have surging UFC flyweight. Mr. Jeff Molina coming on the show tomorrow. Uh, James Krause's own Jeff Molina coming on the show tomorrow. Uh, very excited to have him on. He seems to be excited to come on and break down some fights for you guys as well. So make sure you guys tune in tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern. Jeff Molina and myself will be breaking down the card one last time, especially with us having the weigh-ins in mind now. Uh, very much looking forward to that. All right, let's get into the thick of things here with the three best prop bets. I'll kick things off as I always do. First and foremost, I like that Ian Gary via submission at plus 475. I think that line's a little bit off. Uh, I know Williams has a little bit of a jiu-jitsu background himself, but this is MMA, brother, and I think it's going to be a lot more difficult for him to kind of fend off takedowns, especially if he's getting touched up on the feet, which I think is absolutely viable here as well. But I do think that once Ian Gary drags his fight to the ground, he will eventually find that submission at plus 475, in my opinion, is a very generous price tag. All right, next up. I got uh, Ode Osborne via submission as well, plus 285. I think he can drag CJ Vergara to the ground and get to work there. It seems like Vergara is mainly a Muay Thai practitioner, and I'm not going to count out the fact that he possibly has made improvements in his jiu-jitsu game, but Ode Osborne uh, has a knack for snatching up some necks. 
and taking home some limbs with him as well. And I think he'll be able to do that here against uh, the striker and uh, CJ Vergara. I will say, though, Fight doesn't go to decision. Probably my favorite prop on that uh, on that fight specifically, but that plus two eighty five was just screaming my name to uh, share with you guys. And then lastly, I gotta go with Frank Yeager via decision plus two seventy five. If you guys have access, like I said during that breakdown, if you have access to the Edgar decision only prop, which should be roughly around plus one hundred five, plus one ten, that means if there's any win inside the distance, the bet is void. The only way you lose that bet is if Vera wins a de- decision. I like that a little bit more than the Edgar via decision at plus 275. But uh, yeah, plus 275 Edgar via decision is what I'm going to go with. For John, uh, his first one up is Edgar via decision as well. He likes that same play that I do, and I completely understand why. Uh, his next one, Mihalaitis inside the distance at plus 450. I wish I could give you guys a reasoning. I have absolutely no idea why, but he is going to be doing his own pod, uh, podcast with the fellas over there at Club and Sub. Link is in the description below, so make sure you guys check them out tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern as they go over the fights themselves, and you guys can hear why John likes Mihalaitis, but then again, John loves pretty much every underdog. Uh, lastly, he does like Ode Osborne inside the distance as well at plus 150. I think he he sees pretty much what I see as well with Osborne and Vergara probably being a little bit of a fraud, and I think Osborne will be able to expose him. All right, Cody, you're up, my brother. I would just like to point out, John, pretty badass, but he had Volcan by decision, didn't he? Yeah, he thought, again, he thought... Yeah, I, I don't fucking... Yeah, listen, I knockout? I get a knockout, right? I can see yeah. a knockout. Decision? It's the oh. output. I think he was try, trying to bang on the output at times. I know. Vulcan, uh, or sorry, Uncle Ives sometimes waits a little bit too much. I right. understood the argument, but man, it, it did not work out for him at all there. You know what? This is a game. You get one right, you're a genius. You get one wrong, you're an idiot. So I I, I hear him. He's actually a pretty sharp guy. And yeah. if he hits it, he's going to be the fucking man, right? I'll give exactly. him that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't understand the Vulcan one, Mikulitis one, a little bit different. I'm going to go with Burgos versus Carantillo. Fight goes the distance, minus 125. I'm going to think Burgos is a really durable guy, tough. He, he's been chin-checked by some of the best power punchers in the game. Billy's not one of them. Billy, meanwhile, got a great chin, got great durability. So if Burgos uh, lets them hands go the way we've known him to do in the past, I just think that both guys durable enough that win or lose, this thing's going the distance, minus 125. Moving on, i got to pick up the pace a little bit because these guys always got big, fat, plus money tags. Uh, Gaethje by KO is only minus 110. But again, I mean, we got three rounds. I don't know if anybody thinks this thing's going to go three full rounds, but... Uh, it's not going to decision. I think someone's going to knock out the other man. I just happen to be Team Gaethje, and I think that if he can survive that first round, critical first round, he's going to slow down Michael Chandler and eventually uh, find the money, go knock him out. And so now I definitely need a plus money tag here. Put my big boy pants on. Boom, boom, Chris Curtis knockout, plus 650. You know, we hit the ankle live by decision, plus 210 last week. I thought that was killer. I see you guys, plus 210, just not even worth my time. So I got to put the big boy pants on. I think Chris Curtis gets the job done. There was some fucking loser in the chat earlier, B. He didn't like it. But guess what, buddy? Now I'm even more motivated to say I told you so. (laughs) Hopefully Chris Curtis goes and does exactly what he's capable of doing. I know there's a lot of people sleeping on him. They don't like him. He's got a journeyman record. He's 34. He hasn't fought in the UFC for a very specific reason. Uh, Don't let your hate for him take away from the fact that Haas is extremely limited. And if you believe that Haas is somehow some world beater, you got a pair of eyes that I do not possess because I just don't think Haas is really all that special. He's been getting lucky, and he may get lucky here, but he's going to get exposed eventually because he always does. So Chris Curtis, hopefully the guy to do so, and uh, I'm obviously on the king of combat. So Chris Curtis by knockout. It's actually, they're both by TKO. I don't know if your book offers a KO yeah, or TKO. KO it's TKO, it's the same thing. shit. Yeah. I have seen people say they've gotten trouble before, but regardless, that's what we're rolling with. Again, if we can go two out of three, perfect. 
if we can even just get the Chris Curtis fight knockout, it's going to be a good time. So that's what we're going with. Thanks for having me on. As always, my friend, always my pleasure. Back-to-back uh, -back pay per views. We've been spoiled. We've been lucky. And hopefully we can make this one another profitable one for the props. Hey, Cody, plus money is great and all that, especially when it's like plus 200, plus 300. But it doesn't mean shit if it's not cashing. So that's right. that's what we're trying to do here is cash these props as well for you guys. Um, yeah, Cody, I, 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 once again, I'll give you the platform here. Is there anything you want to say on the back end and then I'll wrap it up? No, that's about it. CJ MMA over on YouTube. If you want to check out Breaking Down the Bees, there should definitely be a Bellator. And if for whatever reason I find a pocket of time that I'm able to do it, I would love to do it. But more often than not, I'd like to use that hour and a half I'd record for and just really put the time into putting the exact best props that we can have for the show, best picks for the show. That uh, The Bellator starts at 2 o'clock. The main card's at 5, yeah. I believe. So we're getting an earlier taste on the Friday. On the Saturday, we're invested in the UFC. But I'm going to come up with that Zach Johnson BKFC video for sure. And unfortunately, my book gives me soft limiters, like, and I can only put 600 bucks. So I'll have to open three or four more accounts to get $600 <laughs> on all of them because I just, it's not going to go good, man. It'll be a sad story in hindsight. We'll feel bad. We'll feel guilty. People call me a piece of shit. Um, but I think getting this story out there, especially if something bad does happen, it's going to make people realize why bare knuckle boxing isn't the problem, it's the opponent's selection that is the problem. And how this man ended up on that card is a fucking great mystery. We'll, we'll talk about that later. I can't wait to dig into that as well. Uh, this is the last time you guys will see Cody until UFC 269, which isn't until December 11th. So it's at least a full month away that we get Cody back in here. So cherish him while you guys can. Otherwise, you guys can obviously check him out on the Dogger Pass podcast as well or over there on the Mayo Media Network. And then obviously his breaking down the bees whenever he wants to drop those as well. Uh, shout out to everybody that was in the chat here. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe on the way out. Obviously, subscribe to Cody's YouTube channel as well. And uh, yeah, good luck on your bets and I'll see you guys tomorrow night with Jeff Molina breaking down the fights one last time for the Ultimate Wayne Show, 9 p.m. Eastern. But tomorrow night, or this weekend, let's go. You know, I don't really have a big bet, so I'm just going to say war, Colby for storyline purposes. <laughs> let's see how it goes. I can't wait. should be a great event. Good luck on your bets, and I'll see you guys tomorrow night for the Ultimate Wayne Show.